Don't be a dick about this. Fuck. I'll, I'll make you a corpse if I don't make you something better. I am like Napoleon at Waterloo before your charms. God damn it, Rocky. I told you not to put your ding dong in the kitty cat. Daddy King. I'm gonna make my wife call me that. I'm gonna rip my fucking hair out. I don't even have a lot of hair. I'm just, it's gonna take a lot of work, but I'm gonna do it. That's how mad I am. Alright, we're back with people time. Oh. Hey, dabblers. We got another episode for you guys. Fuck. Yeah. Here we are. Oh, I, uh, got a fun fact of the day. To the left, to the left. Everything you own in a box to the left. That's the fun fact? It was fun. I had fun with it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I do have a fun fact today. In uh, 2001, the CIA declassified a bunch of uh, their old documents from the Cold War. Oh, shit. Which I thought was a little apropos for what we're doing today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good timing, yeah. This story is much funner. Uh, in uh, the 60s, they had a project called Acoustic Kitty. Acoustic Kitty. Acoustic Kitty. I don't know if this is well known by anybody, but the CIA took a cat and uh, put like a microphone in him and a radio transmitter, tried to train him to be a spy. Are you serious? Yeah. Did it work? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for one, you know, there's that phrase, you can't herd cats. That's a phrase? Yeah, I always, yeah, you can't, you can't, it's like, it's like a herd of cats, you know? That's what we say about my family. Like you, you can't get a group of my family together in the same room because it's like herding cats. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they tried to train this cat to eavesdrop on a meeting, and one story says they released it, and it was immediately ran over. <laughs> oh my god! By a taxi. That's awful. I just yeah. It. Yeah. It was a twenty million dollar project. Twenty million dollars went into it. That resulted in sewing a microphone to a cat. Oh my god! How's that twenty million dollars worth of? Whenever I hear these things, I'm like, what are they doing Where is this? that the money needs to be spent on? The fuck did this money come from? Well, another guy said that the cat was, uh, they took all the equipment out of him and he lived happily ever after. Mm-hmm. I believe the taxi part of the story. That's, yeah. That's definitely more like real life. They're like, all right, go, go spy. And then it just <laughs> immediately takes a step out into the road and dies. <laughs> and they're like, huh, well, there's $20 million next. Well, let's go get another $20 million. Um... Maybe we could put microphones in uh, in a parrot. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. I think that that would be really useful for our project. We'll actually probably need 40 because they're smaller. It's a little bit harder. I don't know. I don't know, man. When it's black ops, I guess you could just do whatever the fuck you feel like. Yeah, I need to go get in the government and be like, I'm doing this project. It's going to cost $20 million. It's only like 200 bucks, but I'm going to pocket the rest. I'm pretty sure that's what everybody's doing, actually. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure, you know. Yeah. You look at a receipt and it's like, you know, a hammer's $10,000 hammer. (laughs) <laughs> Etc. You're like that's it's the government for you. Made it of gold and diamonds and yeah, well, oh, that'd be a cool sign for signed by on I don't know someone famous. Uh, Jason Alexander, the most hammer renowned. Oh, who's that? Oh, MC Hammer. <laughs> there you go. See, have him sign the hammer. Yeah, that's a ten thousand dollar hammer. God, I would be so fucking into that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna ask my wife that for for Christmas. I mean, yeah. a diamond encrusted hammer. Signed, Signed by, by MC, MC Hammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I think we have quite a, a program today. Yeah. I'm a little worried. Yeah, me too, actually, I am. Uh, so we're doing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. This is heavy stuff, um, but at the same time, 
quickly just to shoot it off, I was going to say, you know, we've mm-hmm. done, we've done Gandhi, who, um, you know, dealt with oppression with Indians and, you know, they murdered Indians. They, they jailed and, and hurt Indians, right? Um, yeah. f- from the oppression. Um, we've done. Oh, Harriet Tubman. And we did Harriet Tubman, who again, right? Slavery, like heavy stuff. Pretty heavy. And I don't know why, for me, I guess those things are serious, of course, but I think it's a little bit easier to disconnect. That happened in India. That happened a long time ago in my, yeah. you know, like from this, for no, whatever they're reason. They're a different color than me. I don't really care. <laughs> but Martin Luther King and, and doing the research on this, I'm not going to lie. Uh, not only did I not know nearly enough about the civil rights movement mm. before this, but I also, uh, this feels like it happened yesterday. Like that's, that's how close it feels. I like, don't think we're really over it. Like my father lived when segregation was still happening in schools and shit. Yeah. I think segregation kind of still happens now in some places. Well, yeah, but I mean like full on whites one side, blacks the other. Like the down the line. Drinking fountain thing and restrooms, fountains. See, I, I think I know food. I know woefully little about the civil rights movement. Um, I, the general stuff, the picture stuff. Yep. Um, I know there were some interesting guys there, and the Black Panthers happened, and uh, yeah, I've got I've got all that we're going to talk about too. So fuck. We'll, we'll get into it. I don't know. I just I guess I just wanted to bring that up. That you know, there's some great stuff that happens obviously during this time. It's all kind of derived from awful things happening, and it's not good. Hopefully, this gives a little perspective. This wasn't that long ago. Well, it uh, it goes badly, I know, and then and then goes well. Generally, mm-hmm. we we had a black president. Yeah. Uh, etc. Yeah. Uh, the NBA is doing very well. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I think everybody's cool with black people now. Yeah, I don't think so, but no. no. Yeah, there are people that disagree with me on that, but I, uh, I don't know. Anyways. Oh, uh, I did want to introduce myself. Do you have a name? I do. What is your name? My name is the mental vision of Uncle Jesse just plowing Aunt Becky while the rest of the full house just pretends they can't hear her. <laughs> They're trying to sleep. He's just fucking giving it to her. And that's your name is just the mental image. Is like That's how you spell it out. Is Yeah, it's like Prince, where it's really more pictures. of a symbol. Yeah. So my, yeah, that's my, is the image of that. And he's like doing uh, uh, Elvis impressions the whole time because she knows that that's what gets him off. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. My, that's a good name. <laughs> I'm Pirate Marty. Pirate Marty? Mm-hmm. Is that uh, another reference that I won't? Get. No, this is just Pirate Marty. I'm just the nerdy pirate guy on this ship. Oh, that's the, just kind of Marty. Like, I got I got glasses on. So. He's the guy who wears an eye patch for medical reasons. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows. He's like the cartographer. He's yeah. I was about to say, he's the guy who counts all the gold because he's the only one that knows how to like you know mm-hmm. do math. I Pi- mean, Pirate Marty. Somebody you have to have one of those guys around. Yeah, it's like a, everybody's got an accountant. You don't want to go give someone a chest full of gold and. You're realizing you're giving way too much gold, but you don't know. They don't know. So you gotta get you gotta get yourself a pirate, Marty. He's the guy that the you know the main captain is like, yeah, he's a nerd. We keep him around because he counts. Yeah, he gets less booty than the rest of us. Yeah, well, which is funny because he actually doesn't because he's the one counting it, and he they can't tell. They don't know. So he Marty's the smartest guy there. Yeah, I would read a whole thing about Pirate Marty. Well, image um of Jesse fucking the shit out of his mm-hmm. wife. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get started with this people time. Oh, man. Uncle Jesse Plow and Aunt Becky is so prepared. Nice. I'm prepared. So we're doing Martin Luther King. Like so many of our other people, Martin Luther King Jr., that was not his name. What the fuck? Yeah. I thought he was like named after his dad because he's junior. Yeah. 
But his dad was also not Martin Luther King Sr. His Bunch dad of changed liars. his name. Now it's just if you want to be a great person, go go change your name. Because whatever name you were given probably sucks, and you got to just you just, it, even if it doesn't suck, you just have to change it if you want to be famous. That is apparently the things. fucking case. E- even if it's not a big change, just have to go by something a little bit off. Yeah. So he was actually born Michael King. Michael. That's which, a good sounding name too. Yeah. Which his father was Michael King Senior. So. Yeah. So Martin was, Luther comes from Martin Luther, right? Like the he guy does. We'll get into that a little bit. But yeah, I always wondered about that. Yeah. Wow. So he was born Michael King or Martin Luther King Jr. was sure. born um January 15th of 1929. Mm. This is during basically the Great Depression. Like the Great Depression had oh, yeah? just started pretty yeah. much. I bet it's way greater and more depressing if you're black. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh he was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh his father, who was a reverend, Michael King, which also he would go by Daddy King, which I don't know why it just sounds badass. He's Daddy King. So he like often referred to that, like people who knew them like pretty well. Yeah, That's the Daddy pimpest King. thing I've ever heard. Right. It's so cool. Daddy King. Yeah, Daddy King. I'm gonna make my wife call me that. Yeah. She won't, but Yeah. I'll pretend she does. <laughs> That'll get just me don't going. respond unless she calls you that. Just no. Sorry, who are you who are you talking to? Like, Can you grab that thing for me? And you're What's like up? Daddy's huh? Daddy's here. You wanna ask Daddy something? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> so Daddy King was the senior pastor of a Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. So he was already involved with religion and church, which is kind of what is the upbringing of, you know, Martin's uh, childhood. Michael? Michael. I'm going to call him My- Martin from now. That's probably he, fair. He changes it later in his life. He actually goes by Michael for a while, but just for the sake of the podcast so everyone kind of keeps up. I'm probably just going to refer to him as Martin most of the time. That's what we know him as. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call him Daddy King. No, you can't call Martin Daddy King. He can also be Daddy King. He's Daddy King Jr. <laughs> Daddy King Jr. Yeah. So uh, the reason that Daddy King became a preacher was because he was inspired by a minister who uh, they were standing there preaching about racial equality. So hmm. the reason why his father even got into the religious you know, aspect of, of all that is because they were still trying to get racial equality, obviously. Still? I mean, back what? in 1863 when they declared that slaves were now free, yeah, it, it turns out they really weren't. I mean, it really wasn't. No, it, definitely not. It was very much the same. And yeah, there's a whole bunch we can go into that if we want to. But anyways. I think most people understand that. I barely sh- understand it, but I'm not sure if just- a lot of people do, but yeah, not, nothing really happened. I mean, you'll find out when we get into the 1950s and 60s that really nothing happened. Well, from not really being able allowed to vote, uh, to sharecropping. Sharecropping was a huge et thing. Et cetera, et cetera. Like so the- if anyone doesn't know what sharecropping is, sharecropping is the idea of after the slaves were, you know, announced to be free, mm-hmm. they didn't have any land or anything. They didn't have because, any assets or anything. Yeah, they went from being slaves to being like, okay, now you're part of this already economically booming established you know, yeah established and now you just are thrown in the middle with nothing so they would make deals with the newly freed slaves saying i'll tell you what you've already been working on here um on these farms and and whatnot these mm-hmm. plantations so you can continue working we'll give you some of the land but it's technically our land and we'll pay you a little bit of money to do it and yeah it's so they're basically still slaves they're still getting paid it's jack. hilarious when you when you read the definition of sharecropping, because it's where a person is tied to a plot of land and works there for the person who owns it, and yep. you're like, 
slavery? What's different? Yeah. So I think that means in the 1860s, the slave owners went to the slaves and said, okay, you're free now, yeah. in quotations, get back to work. Yeah. I mean, more or less, like... That's pretty much what it is. They might, some might have gotten paid, but we're talking about getting paid nothing. Well, like, pay, like, here, you can have food and stuff. Like Exactly, Basically yeah. what we gave you when you were a slave. We paid you before in food. Yeah. So it's not different. Yeah. Well, and I think because these are, you know, the slaves are just people like anybody else. They're they're cut loose. And what skills do they have? Uh, farming and shit. Yep. So that's just what they went right back to doing. And then, and then they were immediately exploited again. Yep. So it has not been much better. Yeah. This is a very shameful, most of America's time frame yeah. is shameful. But anyways. People time has taught me that most of uh, people are always just terrible. Yeah. And that now we are barely maybe a little bit better. Yeah. I would say that's fairly accurate. I mean, I own my dog. He has no rights. Yeah. He has no rights. He doesn't even get a share in my land. I give my dog most of my land. Actually, yeah, they do own your backyard. <laughs> yeah. Backyard and the living do. room. <laughs> they get all that. Hey, your dog's got some rights. Yeah, so he was inspired to become a preacher, Daddy King, because he, yeah, he liked what he heard of the sermons where they were saying, like, you know, we, we should have equality. He met his wife, which is Alberta Williams King, Martin's mother. Ah. Her father was a minister and asked his son-in-law, Daddy King, hmm. if you should come do this too. So that's kind of like it, it stays in the family pretty quick right there where All right. you know everyone's preaching uh, the gospel and they're preaching equality. And this is what Martin's upbringing is. This feels like a classic story. Yeah. Black, black family, Reverend Father, Georgia, really religious. Yeah. I think I've seen this movie before. Yeah, it's, it's, it was really a typical kind of scenario actually. This is Back to the thing. Future too. Three. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have seen that one. Less than two, but yeah. Anyway, so what? in 19... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to yell Wild West, but I thought... You can. Should I? Yeah. Does it still feel right? If I, are we out of the, uh, mo- are we out of the mood know, it's, now? Now it's... Oh, wait, it's coming back around. Go ahead. Wild, Wild West. Nice. I feel really good about that. <laughs> so uh, in 1934, Daddy King, he becomes the Ebenezer Church pastor. He's kind of helping his father-in-law, essentially. Um, this is during the time frame where uh, Martin's only five years old. The church sends Daddy King to Europe to go join the Baptist World Alliance meeting, which is just a bunch of people who are all sharing similar religions to go and learn mm. and be able to teach better, preach better, that kind of stuff. Um, he goes actually all over Europe. He travels to Rome and Egypt and Jerusalem. Neat. Neat. Yeah. But, I mean, this is 1934. The Holy Land. And he's going to Berlin, Germany. That's not great. So Nazi Germany is starting their rise a little bit there. They don't care for the blacks either, I don't think. Adolf Hitler had just become the chancellor a year before Michael got there. Dick. And I say Michael, I mean Daddy King. Daddy King in Berlin, and all the ladies went, fuck yeah. Yeah. Lined up for him, and that's what actually created Nazism, was the jealousy of Daddy King's lady attention. (laughs) Well, so Daddy King, he ends up going to Berlin, like I was saying, which is the birthplace of... Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther oh. is the guy, and I say Martin Luther as in he was born in 1483, lived until he died in 1546. We're talking about not Martin Luther King as in yeah. any of the people. Martin Luther. Right. Potential he was people a German, topic. Yes. He was a German professor of theology and uh, a priest, a monk, and he was uh, a Protestant Reformation. The whole thing with Martin Luther is he changed a lot of stances. He went against the Catholic Church. Well, he created, like, Protestantism, right? Yes. So he's the guy who, like, hammered the shit on the side of or the door of the... Yeah. 
I don't know anything. I only know that reference from The Simpsons anyway. So, yeah, so what happened was Martin Luther, the man, the German, was against Catholics. Like, yeah. he thought that their way you know, of teaching... he's a monk? Yeah. Well, I don't think he was a Catholic monk. Oh, okay. He thought their teachings were just incorrect, and he had a better way of going about it, which was the Protestant way. And he went against the Roman Catholic Church, as well as the king. He upset a lot of people, and Fuck it branched yeah. off this whole new religion, which is essentially what daddy king is preaching about Hmm. and he likes it so much that when he comes back to america he's like that's what i'm gonna do i'm changing my name to martin luther king and then my son who's named after me i'll change his name too so he wanted to create like a similar type of religious revolution i think he was just inspired honestly i think he was like this guy had the right teachings of god he sounds cool religion you know and so he's like was inspired came back changed his name now martin jr he doesn't officially change his name you know, until later, but he does start going by Martin in his 20s. Yeah, well, he models himself after his dad, I guess. Yeah. Sure. So that's kind of how he got the name Martin Luther King. When it comes to uh, his mother, Alberta, she was a teacher, but she had to quit her job when she got married, and I didn't know this, but the reason why was because apparently if you were female and married, you couldn't be a teacher. Um. Well, the principal has to give it to all the teachers. Oh, that's so like you can't do that. Yeah, and because yeah. if he doesn't, he's gonna do. He's gonna touch the kids. I mean, that's why he works there. <laughs> so the teachers have to right. They have to take take one for the this, blunt for force the of that. Yeah. So Alberta um, played a significant role with her husband in the Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, she gave birth, obviously, to three children. Martin being one of them, of mm. course. But Martin did have two siblings. So uh, Willie Kristen Christian King and Alfred Daniel Williams King, also known as Urkel. Daddy Urkel King. No. That's not it? No. I just I see them as kind of nerds. They seem like intellectual types. No. Oh. But she was also a huge role in their upbringing. Yeah. She was very informative and taught them, all the kids, um, including obviously Martin Luther King well, Jr. she's a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And was very involved in their lives. Martin was very fond of his parents. He loved both of them dearly. That's were, nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, that's a little bit of his upbringing when he's a childhood. Now, in his early childhood, right before he goes to school, he actually has friends, and one of them which is a white boy, and he plays with the white boy. He doesn't... Eminem? No. I actually didn't get the name of the white kid. It just says that he, about the age of six years old, he met a friend. They played. Um, right before school starts for their first year, goes over to go play with the boy, and the boy's father says, you can't play with them anymore. You guys are now going to be entering school, so you guys got to stop playing. And he didn't understand why. It hadn't been explained to him yet at this point that there's differences going on. So he goes back home, and he's like, I don't understand. Talks to his mom, and his mom's like, yeah, so... Here's this whole entire thing with our background. And and she explains to him slavery. She like explains six. to him. Yeah. yeah. And explains to him that there's segregation and that he can't hang out with the white boy anymore. Well, I'm sure that, um, you know, being two white guys is not something we're familiar with. But I'm sure, yes, every black parent has to have that conversation with their kid at some I point. I think that was the only way that they were going to be, like, especially because of how dangerous it really is during this time frame. You're going to find out real quick that you have to know this stuff because horrible things can happen to you if you're just unaware, like yeah. even. Uh, fucking murder you. It's, it's, it's not and They even... still do. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I'm starting to feel the bummer part of this episode. Well, I'm just going to get wasted. Okay. That might be the best way to deal. I don't know. So obviously this time frame, yes, yeah, schools are segregated under the Jim Crow laws. Have you ever heard of the Jim Crow laws? This is what segregation is all. I like. heard of them. That's like the laws that are like, we have separate 
they're the ones that enforce segregation. They say like, you go to this school, you go to the school, and it's enforced by the government. So stellar. Yeah, Jim Crow laws are shitty. Um, it's actually modeled well. My my model. I have a a type of Jim Crow law that I'm working on sending to Congress about keeping Michiganites away from the rest of us. Right. Um, we're going to be calling it the Michigan Crow. Dude, you should switch from laws. Michigan over to Alabama after this story. Well, fuck Alabama. Then they just oh man. Then they just ban abortion. You're gonna hate them after this. It's the podcast. fucking South, at man. least at that time frame. You know those people sucked. You know the only thing but, I think of when I hear about the South, hmm. I just hear the same voice in my head, no matter what. Oh, dude, so do I. Just, God damn it, Rocky! I told you not to put your ding dong in the kitty cat. And then he go bite you. That's what he do. Ah, sister mother, come over here and take a look. Sister mother, get your ding dong out the kitty cat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the Jim Crow laws, they are what separate white and black from basically everything. Facilities, transportation, restrooms, restaurants, drinking fountains, anything you can think of. They didn't allow people to mingle or mix. They smell different. Right, they kept black people. Oh, in, I like it. Yeah. Well, we want to make sure that we don't have to make our little girls sit next to some big overgrown Negro, to quote Eisenhower. Yeah, that's true. Eisenhower said that. Um, Fuck you, Eisenhower. What a dick. Ike. Yeah, so uh, while he was a young child, Martin um, did say that his father whipped him pretty regularly. He said it was uh, <laughs> that's, that's that time. Yeah, up until he's 15 years old, he said that uh, he got whipped pretty good for whenever he got in trouble. And I the do neighbors not have a problem with any of that. Yeah, it's fine. You know, uh, he turned out fine. People back then had better standards than they do now. It's kind of true. Kids are little shitheads, including me. And I was beat a little, not a ton. Well, and even here, it doesn't even say they say whipped, and that I say. Whipped as in, it might even be more like whooped, you know? Kind of more, not necessarily like, I'm taking off my bell. He might have, I don't know. But Boy, cut me a switch. But it is important that Martin says that, like, yeah, I think that was, is important. He taught me a lot of stuff because of the stuff I was doing that I got whipped for. You gotta smack a kid. Yeah. All of them. I'm Um, gonna go smack a kid. Just, (laughs) well, any kid I see outside, I'm just gonna go smack. This is for your better future. But it's funny because that's how Martin's father thought because Daddy King told him. <laughs> yeah. There's a quote that like neighbors apparently said that they could hear Daddy King saying as he was beating him one day that he would make sure to make something out of Martin even if he had to beat him to death. <laughs> Fuck. I'll, I'll make you a corpse if I don't make uh, you something better. You're going to be something or you're going to be dead. <laughs> that's fucking uh, cool. But, you know, he loved his son. Teach and, him fear. Yeah. Uh, and and they, they had a great relationship. They really did. And Martin, he loved his father and he respected him because he saw... So Daddy King, when they would go out to places, he wouldn't respond to a lot of stuff that... I mean, it was actually dangerous to, to do this, but like if a policeman called him boy, he would no longer respond to that policeman. Ooh. Like, you know, if they said, hey, get back on the street, boy. Right. And then he'd just be like, all right, we're just going to keep going. Um, he also refused to go to stores where if he's going to buy something from a white store, because they would allow you to purchase things, they want your money still. Yeah. But they'd be like, yeah, I can only serve you in the back away from, you know, you got to stay away from the windows and where all the white people are. So <laughs> go in the back windows. and he'd be like, you can either do it here or I'm going to leave. And they'd be like, yeah, you have to go in the back. And they'd be like, cool. And he wouldn't get the thing and he'd leave. So his- That's a very frustrating life. Yeah. It gets worse. But Martin respected his father. I he says, fucking love Daddy King. As a kid, he saw his dad do these kind of things and was like, yeah, he's a good man. So Martin is extremely intelligent. Yeah. Even at a young age, By he ends that. up skipping ninth grade. And then again, he skips 12th grade going straight into college. You know why? His daddy gave it to him. Yeah. Well, I you do well in school. Smart, man. I will beat you to death. 
Yeah, he had his father who was uh, strong and his his intelligence level, I don't know. He just, it's one thing to skip a grade and go up. It's another thing to skip a second grade because that usually means like you're still not getting challenged enough. But he skipped it going straight into college. He was 15 years old when he went to college. Jesus. Yeah. Now I'm telling you, he's he's a genius and you're going to see why. Awesome. Yeah, so he he's able to go into college because he just goes and passes the entrance exam to get into uh, Morehouse College in 1944. So 15 years old, hmm. he just goes and takes a test, and they're like, yeah, you're yeah. smart enough. Come on in. Jesus. Yep. So he plays a little bit of freshman football while he's in college. Um, he obtains his bachelor's degree in uh, sociology, hmm. which makes sense with what's going on later on. He's understanding and learning about how. Yeah. Yeah. Figure out how that all works. Exactly. So near the end of the education in Morehouse College, about 18 years at this time, Martin decides that he's going to enter the ministry. So he's actually going to go try to do what Daddy King's doing. You know, he's going to kind of get into the religious aspect of yeah of that kind of lifestyle. Like so, college level. It's actually religious. It is so he why he did because at first he really didn't want to actually like his dad didn't push him into it either. Um, a lot of people have kind of speculated that that might have happened, but his dad you know was religious and talked about religion and God and preached and of course, but he never really expected that his son would necessarily go for it, and his son didn't really show a whole lot of interest until about this time frame and he meets a couple people who basically like dude you're you're intelligent you're well spoken educated this might be a great way and a great platform for you to go in Hmm. and not only teach religion but also human rights oh and everything just kind of yeah formed in his mind like ah yeah this is why i've been calling myself martin luther well to him he was like this he thought was an inner urge to serve humanity hey do you recognize that you're a smart person and you apply it correctly that's it's pretty admirable yeah. Most smart people are assholes. Yeah. Look at Elon Musk. Yeah, I don't know much about Elon Musk. I fucking hate Musk. that guy. I don't know too much about him. You know what he's not done? Anything for equal rights. Probably not. No. I don't know. He's dating like a 20-year-old. <laughs> I didn't know anything about him. Fuck. He's the guy who did uh, the uh, Tesla cars, right? Yeah, he owns Tesla. I'm not going to lie, that, those cars are fucking awesome. Yeah. I got one the other day, and it drove us around on the freeway without touching the wheel or anything. I was like, what the fuck? Well, you can put it in actual auto mode? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it'll change lanes and everything, take you off to the exit, and then it... I don't like that at all. Dude, I loved it. No. Oh, don't it, trust the computer. You're the problem. You're letting Elon Musk get away with... I'm sorry. If I could buy that Skynet. car... Skynet. I would do Skynet. This is fucking real. You know what a really good car is? 1989 Corolla. Yeah, it's a reliable. Yeah. It still runs. And I drive it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't tell me what to do. Well, anyway, so after he graduates Morehouse College, he's 19 years old. He's already joined the ministry, as I was saying. He's starting to kind of go into the preacher footsteps. Martin enrolls in what's called Crozer Theological Seminar in Chester, Pennsylvania. Seminary, mm. sorry. Here, Martin was elected as the present student body and became romantically involved with a German immigrant Ooh, hello. who worked in the cafeteria. She was white. What's her name? Greta? Betty Moitz. Betty! My life will never be harder than this moment. Yeah. So, so he does. He comes, he becomes romantically involved with her. He, Sweet. He thinks she's awesome. He actually wants to marry her, but his friends advise against it because they're like, dude, mm-mm, she's white. Those German chicks are nuts. Yeah. Uh, interracial marriage would, uh, provoked animosity from both blacks and whites at the time. Hmm. So his friends were like, don't do this. So and it was his friends who kind of talked him down? Yeah. Hmm. He was also a little bit afraid of telling his parents because he didn't think that they would also uh, approve. He just didn't want to leave those German tits alone, and I don't blame him. <laughs> you go for it, Martin. Yeah, but he broke up with her oh, because of this. Um, yeah, so. That's the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life, right? Are we at the peak of the bad now? <laughs> no. 
and then he invented Muppets. Hmm. And then he also invented uh, Psych Rock. Mm-mm. He was a backup singer for Jefferson Airplane. Mm-mm. And then he became a yo-yo champion. And uh, I'm not sure why we're talking about him. <laughs> <laughs> During this time frame, when he's at this uh, seminary, this is where he learns about Gandhi. Ooh. Gandhi was just assassinated in January of 1948. And this oh, wow, is the time yeah. frame he's going through this college. And he goes to a lecture where the president of Howard University gives a speech about Gandhi, and he immediately becomes deeply influenced by the philosophy of nonviolence. This is a huge, huge thing for Mm. what's going to happen later on. Well, it kind of plays in line with what uh, Daddy King was saying, right? Like, if somebody disrespects you, you you're just not in that. So nonviolence is like, we're just not going to engage you the way you want us to. Yeah, I mean, I think a nonviolence goes even much further, as we'll see. But yeah, Daddy King was more like, if someone's going to treat me poorly, I'm going to ignore them. The nonviolence thing that he's going to do here is going to be a little bit more constructed, and we'll huh. see what's what's going to happen with it. But fucking, I'm excited. He graduates from this Crozer Seminary uh, with a bachelor's in divinity, which I didn't know Ooh. what that was. Yeah, what does that mean? Study of divinity, theology, and religious studies. It's basically, I mean, you're studying religion and a lot of different... But, like, if you get a bachelor in it, is that specified, like, he's a specialist of the Holy Ghost? He's a Holy Ghost specialist? <laughs> I'm not sure if it's like the... a Holy Ghost specialist, but he definitely has a lot of backgrounds with different religions, um, and I'm sure a lot of them are probably Christian-based. But, yeah, he gets his degree, and he's only 22 years old when he gets this bachelor's degree. Fuck, dude. So, we're going to get Although, into... Although, let's, let's be honest, what does it really take to get a bachelor in divinity? I don't but know, You just have to man. read the Bible twice, not to back? Yeah, but you have to you have to be able to do the New Testaments from memory. Begot, so-and-so, begot, so-and-so, begot. So he's going to memorize no, Sam begot Job, who begat Ham, who begot... Oh, that's pretty good. Is that is that accurate? Fuck if I know. Ham? I don't know who Ham is, but I like that. It sounds legit. Yeah. Oh, it's it's Sham begat Ham, oh. who begot... Spam. Zerachiah. Oh, Zerachiah, and then Zerachiah had Spam. Yeah, that's right. And everyone was like, dude, lasts forever, and he's really salty. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Spam. I'll eat him all day. Yeah. Let me eat him. So we're going to get into Martin. Fry in, him up with some eggs. In his, tw- in his 20s. Cut him up, put him in something. Salad. Yeah. Salty, it's delicious. Is this what, is this what Martin was talking about in school? It wasn't, unfortunately. Yeah, so we're going to get into Martin in his 20s, um, but... This is during the 1950s, and I kind of want to do a little precursor because there's so much going on that I just want the 50s are nuts. You guys to keep this in mind that during all this time, what's going on? I think in the background, people time is probably spent more time in the 50s, maybe than any other, or close to. It's just yeah. everything is here. Everything collapses yeah, right after World War Two. Yeah. 30s, 40s, so, 50s. For the black community in the 50s, I mean, really any time before this as well. But while this is going on, you should keep in mind that terrorism and physical attacks and murders and bombings, like, it's happening frequently. What like, do you mean? Like, so far what I've talked about with his earlier life with Martin, mm-hmm. I haven't gone into what's really going on to the black community at this time. It, it's terrible. Is the KKK, like, around doing stuff? Yes. Uh. And we're going to get into that as well in a little bit. But mm. I'm telling you, like... I haven't brought it up because there's so much stuff, but people are getting murdered constantly. If you're black, you had a, a sh- uh, much higher chance of dying. Like a black man to a white man is almost double of your. I think that's still the case. 
right? Like, yeah, I don't know what it is now. I think but, it's pretty fucking close. But either way, is even if it wasn't even necessarily directly murder, you're still getting treated much worse. You don't have the money or medical abilities, so uh, there's so many things. No. But you're getting murdered in the streets. That's that's what's going on. So, and this was like often unprovoked where it yes. so like like you're just a group of black people and you're like let's go to the hardware store and a truck full of white guys might just kill you yeah so it's not like a prov- it's not like it's easy to be provoked to murder so much as just white people are like oh he's black let's hang him that could easily happen um you also have to understand that they're going to get they're going to get murdered for things that white people could do and not get murdered and then they're going to get murdered for things because white people might do it and it would be considered bad but they wouldn't get murdered but a black person would you understand like i think that's still happening too <laughs> yeah probably actually <laughs> but that's what i'm saying is so like you could be walking down the street and you have you you run into a white drunk guy who just is like yeah this will be a great way for me to get my frustrations out. i'm going to beat this person and then they don't stop and then that person dies and he doesn't get charged because- or it might be because the black person said hi to somebody that they shouldn't have because they were white or something, and then somebody freaks out and kills them. It might be because a black person might have stole something, which, granted, if a white person stole something, they wouldn't get murdered. They would just, you know, get punished with... Fuck, dude. I... But instead, they're black, so they're going to get murdered on the spot, and then there's going to be no trial or anything. I'm telling you, it's just awful. This is why Martin... This is why he's a genius, because he approached that as... Dude, this Nonviolence is... is how you get... Uh, respect in that scenario because if i were there i would have been i would have i would have fought i would have uh, yeah i'm black panther malcolm x because i already have rage issues yep and me too. yeah 100 percent. i'd be like let's kill all the white people Dude, that's the only solution they're dickheads kill them all and we're gonna get even more into this here in a little bit but and i'm always wrong which is why martin's right in hindsight i like to think oh it'd be cool if i was on martin's side if i was actually there in that time frame i would have definitely been a black panther well and i guess he had a pretty big following. You know, he's a pretty inspiring guy. That's probably why so many people. In late 1951, Martin met a young lady named Coretta Scott, um, who had won a scholarship to New England Conservatory of Music in Boston. Ooh. They met through a mutual friend, someone uh, named Mary Powell, who had previously actually given Martin a few different phone numbers of other girls because he was like, hey, you should... Any cute girls over where you're at? Yeah. And so she gives them... He's fucking Daddy King. He's Daddy King Jr. Junior. You don't have to put the Junior in it when you're trying to hit on a lady, though. You're like, you know what my name is? Daddy King. <laughs> yeah. Panties just falling off. Panties well, blowing up from he the actually, seams. Just he's actually told that he did well as far as pussy dating girls. everywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Hey, you get but, the right name, that's all it takes. I mean, he spoke well, and so he did fairly well with the ladies that stated. All the girls that he got phone numbers from from mary powell he called them and he was like yeah they're, they're boring i don't care but right. when he got coretta scott's he got on the phone with her and he was super interested in truth he's like she's smart she's a genius matter of fact you gotta be smart to hang with him yeah oh and credit was actually even reluctant to give her phone number at first because mm-hmm. when her friend told her about it and told who martin was and he was kind of like a preacher she was like no thank you nerd yeah and uh luckily mary powell told Coretta was like no i I think this guy's going places like he's got a future yeah do you know what he goes by (laughs) you want you want to know because your panties will blow off (sighs) like yeah he's a smart guy but i wouldn't say nerd yeah no so they have a phone call so she she decides like okay i'll 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 get him i'll give him my phone number that's fine go and give it to him and on their first phone call, he says to her, Martin's in his most liquid baritone hey. voice, I am like Napoleon at Waterloo before your charms. 
Now, I have to explain that this is actually, I love this line. It's pretty good. This line works well. You know, like he, he had lines kind of like this. And so to I'm, give you context in case you're not sure. I'm going to get as deep into you as Napoleon did into Russia, <laughs> but deeper. So with this one, he's saying I'm like Napoleon at Waterloo. So. Oh, baby, I... <laughs> Can't get enough of your love. No. Uh, yeah. So Napoleon actually at Waterloo, that's where he was completely defeated and stopped his reign. Yeah. So he's saying here, like, I'm completely defeated by your charms. Is all he's saying in a, in a fancy, cute way. So I'm defeated by your... Like, he's like, yeah, like, he's smitten. He's like... God, he's even telling intellectual... Yeah. Jesus. Hot, yeah. And Coretta... Responds oh. back was like, "That's absurd. You haven't even met me." <laughs> She's like, "That's You're actually stupid. true. They're just on the phone, right?" <laughs> yeah. And so, how pimp is that though to call somebody and be like, "Hey, hey, there. I'm smitten by you like a war general." Yeah, who was defeated? Call me daddy. So, so Coretta is not so much weirded out as she's like, hey, "He seems. I'll. I'll. I want to figure out what this, is, this guy's about." Honestly, I think Martin was good with lines like this, and it got great responses from women. And I think he finally met someone who was like, I- I'm not gonna say the other women were dumb. I think she was just intelligent, just like knock it off. Like she knew he Shut was, up. he was, you know, he's throwing that's a, out lines. That's really cute. Yeah. The other women would either not get the reference, or whether or not they do or not, they're like nerd. Yeah, nerd. But in this case, she she knew what he was saying, so she's like, "We well, haven't even met me yet." So she does agree to go out with him, though, <laughs> even though she's like, stop it. Right. So they do. They go out on a date, and on their first date, she's surprised how short he is. That's what she says, because <laughs> Martin was only five foot seven, which, I mean, that's still not short. But it's average-ish. Yeah. But she, I guess, pictured him being taller, and so when she saw him, she's like, oh, you're short. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Uh, no, she didn't, luckily, but... Once she saw how tall his dick was. But Martin was very forward with it. Yeah, he's forward. He told her that she had all the qualities that he was looking for in a wife hmm. on their first date. And she responded with, I don't see how you can say that. You don't even know me. I love her. <laughs> However, she <laughs> continues to date Martin. Because <laughs> all of his bullshit pickup hits hit on her stuff. She's, she's like, like, stop. Knock it off. But she still likes him. But yeah, she's also seeing the potential in him, you know. Yeah. Martin was so sure that he wrote his mother two weeks into dating her. Coretta that he found his wife. That's what he told her. He's like, I found my wife. I'm yeah, going to marry this woman. All right. That's cute. That's that's fun. Two years later, they got married. I still miss the German chick. Although Coretta sounds nice, too. Yeah, Coretta Scott is badass. Let's say Coretta Scott King. That's a, that that's... rings a bell. I think I've read about that. Yep. In passing. She's a badass. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit, too. Well, yeah. But... And you can even tell from just these small exchanges that she's intelligent. That's cool. Yeah. Very, very smart. Yeah. So they get married. Martin's actually 24 years old at this time. This is in 1953. Mm. Coretta is actually 26. She's a little bit older than Martin. Robin Cradle. Yeah. 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 And uh, they they will end up having four children over the years. Yolanda, Martin Luther King III. Oh. Dexter and... Dexter. Uh, yeah. Dexter Scott King and Bernice. Bernice? I don't know if I'm saying it right. They all go by Scott King? Uh, No, they don't. Oh, just Dexter? Dexter took on Scott for his middle name. I think that's... Like. that's- progressive as shit take on the maiden name like that shit yeah people don't really do that anymore yeah i was gonna take my wife's name but it's a stupid name so i'm not gonna do that i was gonna take my wife's name which is a badass name but it seems like a lot of work to just change it i don't want to do all that martin luther king's name legally was michael we could call ourselves whatever the fuck we feel like pirate marty yeah that's true actually yeah the the, my mental image name is pretty (laughs) solid yeah 
All right, so uh, 1954, after they get married, Martin's 25. Um, he's called to be a pastor at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery. Cool now, you know where, now you know where Dexter came from when he named his one of oh, his children. So he named him after? Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. So uh, Name my kid Chevron. Yeah. And this church will actually later become declared a national historic landmark in 1974. Because so. he was there a while? Yeah, so he was the uh, pastor there. That's where he did a lot of his preaching. He preaches really in a lot of places, hmm. but yeah, this is kind of where he's first starting his real preaching. Yeah, get the fire. Yeah. He continues his schooling, however. He doesn't stop. Continues studying systematic theology, which is just religious studies, and he will then get his PhD in June of 1955, becoming... Hmm? Dr. What? Martin Luther King Jr. Bam. Technically, he's actually also, I think... Big name. And then he's also sometimes goes by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther Jesus. King Jr. So, yeah. yeah, it's cool to have titles. What does he get a PhD in? Is it just more divinity? It's uh, theology and uh, religious studies. Wow. Yeah. And how to tell a goddamn good story. Yeah. And I bet his oratory is a big part of that, because that's what he's sort of known for. Yep. I mean, you're kind of seeing the shaping of why he was such a good speaker, how he was able to communicate with others. Church school. He used love and religion for his backing to help kind of give his word. Yeah, Jesus is just all right with Michael. Yeah. Uh, in 1955, Claudette Colvin, who's a 15-year-old black girl, Mm. refuses to give up her seat to a white asshat on the bus. Sure. Same fucking story over and over again. What's so goddamn special about the bus? Just sit in the back, you white. Just sit down. Yeah. You gotta move people. It's the bus. You already can't afford a car, you piece of shit. What makes you so... Fuck you. Yeah. What is the deal with that? It just keeps happening. This is actually technically the first time, though, that a black person is refusing to give up their seat to a white person. Happened to Harriet Tubman, though. It did. Yeah, she was on on a train, though. I guess I should say this is the first time in the 50s. Oh, I'm sure it's ha- but this is probably like when it's more like highly publicized and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it happened a bunch. It probably did actually happen a lot. But, but yes, man, yeah, you this get, is the you, first time coming that home it's... from work. You don't fucking want to get up. Yeah, you fuck you. God, yeah. I want to murder everybody. Don't worry, this this gets pretty good. I, mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't, but it does. I'm gonna get so. really worked up here. Uh, <laughs> trust me, I, I know. Dude, yeah. We might end up having to cut out a bunch of podcasts of us just screaming about it. Anyways, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so Claudette, she's a 15 year old girl, and she won't give up her seat. They call the police. The who, police. Yep. No, I'm already gonna yell. Who then drag her off the bus, and she is arrested for not giving up her seat oh, yeah, on the so, bus. So this is what you were saying. This is Jim Crow. Were Jim gonna, Crow yeah, laws. Okay. Yep. Uh, Martin is actually on this committee, which is called the uh, Birmingham African American Community, which they actually are able to look into these kind of cases when stuff happens that are injustice, which is happening constantly, hmm. and try to get insight, see if they can help find ways to battle against it. This is kind of his first response to seeing injustices that he can get firsthand look on. Figure it out, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, they're trying to come up with an idea of maybe making this into a movement. It's being talked about. They're like, well, what if, what if we just did that? What if we just didn't give up our seats? What just would ra- happen? Just rally, yeah. So they're trying to come up with ideas to do it. However, it gets rejected until, like, rejected by. It gets rejected by this community that's the, the Birmingham African American community well, to fuck. make it a movement. They're, they're first, probably afraid. Well, there's a whole bunch of things that go into it, especially with her being 15 year old, who was the first person to kind of get spotlight in the media about this, and mm-hmm. they're like. You know, if we do this and everyone's going to be like, think we're using children, I don't know. That's there, true. There's a lot of different things that go into it, but 
Just set one up. You know it'll happen again. Yeah. So it gets rejected until nine months later when Rosa Parks is arrested for doing the same thing. So she a plant? Rosa Parks? Yeah. Rosa Parks hung out with Claudette, and they had their own community going, and they are the ones who essentially planned out yeah. this one with Rosa Parks. So they, it was planned. I, I had heard that, I think, fairly recently, that, yeah, the, the Rosa Parks scenario was set up. It was it was a brilliant idea, because the idea was that they knew it was going to happen. Yeah, it's the in same. this outcome. Still the same. But they did it because they wanted to bring attention to what was going on. Which, I think that's brilliant, because, yeah, you, you don't want to force this 15 year old girl into the scenario right she didn't even want to be there so pick somebody who's got the heart for it and is ready to go set it up it's perfect yeah so when Claudette did it she just she just did it like it was just like i don't want to get up like fuck you no, like, she wasn't trying to make a point to you know on a national level she was like yeah i, I don't have to get up like she's a kid stupid. yeah she's a kid she shouldn't have to be the name behind a whole movement she just wants to date boys and chew yeah. bubble gum and shit. Although, I mean, Claudette does go on to be an activist later on, too. And <laughs> I bet everybody back... You had to be. Yeah, you did. Yeah. But so, but when her and Rosa Parks kind of get together, and Rosa also works more with another organization, they actually plan it out to be like, we're going to make this into a thing, a movement. Fuck. Awesome. So, yeah, Rosa Parks is... Um, in 1955, she's arrested for refusing to relinquish her seat on the bus to a white person. Unbelievable. Yes. You know what white people are? I want it. I want it. But I want it, though. You, you, you do what I want. Yeah, pretty much. That's fairly accurate. I think that's what the guy was saying when he was trying to move her. What an asshat. Pissy pants, little. I'm so mad still. So within these nine months, these two things get a lot of attention. However, there is another thing that happens in between this. In between Claudette Colvin getting arrested and Rosa Park getting arrested, a 14-year-old black boy named Emmett Till. <sighs> I know. Yeah, this is going to be brutal. I know. All right. All right. So he went to a grocery store, and he was accused of offending a white woman who was a 21-year-old Caroline Bryant. Bitch. Who was married. She accused him of flirting with her, making verbal and physical advances on her. Oh, gosh. And several nights later, her husband and his brother, Roy Bryant and Mm -hmm. John W. Millam, they grabbed a gun, went to Emmett's house. Technically, it was his great uncle's house. That's where he was staying at the time. Mm-hmm. But they found Emmett. They abducted him. This is a 14-year-old boy. 14-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. They beat him. And I say this because I don't think the word beat is strong enough. No. Um, they mutilate him. And then they end up shooting him in the head. And then they toss his body into the river. Um, Emmett's body is found and it's returned to his family, who the rest of his family, because he was staying with his great uncle, the rest of his family was in Chicago. His mother held an open coffin funeral for public viewing because Ugh. it was such a horrific sight of what the state he looked. Um, That's a lot of bravery on her part, too. Yeah, especially because it's, it, I mean, this is brutal. And she wanted the world to know what had happened because it's, me and you talked about this a little bit. Yeah. You can go online and there's two photos that are uh, extremely powerful when it comes to the story of Emmett Till. One photo is just of his mother. You don't see Emmett and she's bent over his coffin and she's crying. And it is, I'm not going to lie, it's it's heartbreaking. I know. Don't be shocked if you end up breaking down if you see this, knowing Mm. the story. But there is another photo that half of me says it's important to see what severity this is. Yeah. To not ignore this. But it's also half of me says don't go look it up. It's well, it's it's very morbid. Now, me personally, I wouldn't judge anyone who's like, I don't want to see something morbid. I, I I wouldn't judge you if you didn't go look at it. But if you want to know how bad it is I mean, the his mother intentionally had the casket open so that the whole world 
could see what happened. Yeah. Because, and I don't know if her perspective was, you know, equal rights or whatever. She's like, look what they did to my baby. So yeah. if you're looking to understand where the inspiration for the next movement comes from, this picture fired a lot of people up. And obviously I'm not recommending go Google a dead body, but um, no, it will it will show you why, yeah, why if everybody it, was so worked up. And if it helps at all in the sense of why we're maybe even suggesting to, if you're someone who's going like, why would you want me to go? <laughs> she actually ran the picture in the newspapers. Yeah, this was all her. She had a bunch of people come to the viewing with an open casket on purpose. As a matter of fact, thousands of people come through. This is happening with the buses. This uh, specific one gets a lot of attention with Emmett Till. And the black community is obviously outraged, and reasonably so. Now, when it comes to the court, if you want to go into that a little bit, I mean, I can. So she claimed that he did all these things. The Oh, the lady? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Caroline Bryant. And the husband and his brother, they admit that they did it. They went to trial. They're acquitted. And then afterwards, because of um, being protected under double jeopardy, meaning you can't get tried again they're for acquitted they're acquitted for, yeah okay yeah Split. yeah yeah this, this is common by the way anytime anyone even if it gets to trial yeah people aren't going to jail for murdering <laughs> black people a white judge is like you did kill him huh <laughs> okay well see I you tomorrow let's, too yeah i'll see you on sunday on church. Over. let's go get some lunch yeah this is not uncommon at all. This is why people are getting so upset. This is why there's going to be a huge movement going on is because nothing is getting done to help make black people equal, even though they're supposed to already have been out of slavery and equal, according yeah. to the 14th and 15th Amendment, back in fucking 1886, right? Well, an equal, not, not even or 1883, fucking, sorry. It doesn't even fucking come close. 1863, Jesus. <laughs> well, because equal would be, you know, you get the same pay. You get the same types of property, but no, we're yeah. talking way beneath that, yeah. where you can m- be murdered and nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Now, there is a whole bunch of controversy. I won't get into it too much because I don't know which, what is true and what isn't. Um, Caroline Bryant in 2008 was with an interviewer mm-hmm. who stated that she claimed that she lied when she was at court. Because when she was at court, she, saw it, she said that Emmett had flirted with her, whistled at her, um, grabbed her by the waist and said sexual things to her. All of it was dismissed anyways by the judge. Yeah. Um, so it didn't really matter, I guess, too much. And they were acquitted. So honestly, doesn't matter. But, According to this reporter, he said that he wrote down a bunch of other stuff that she said that, yeah, um, none of that was true. He whistled at me. Well, it doesn't fucking matter. No, it doesn't either way. Of course Wh- not. Whistle at her or be a charming little kid and, and, and try he's and hit on her. He's 14 years old. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And so... If, if he's a, if he's a, a spunky kid, even if, yeah. he's like, hey, yeah. she's a pretty lady. Haha, let's have some... Let's you know, just let's say just right now, obviously, if you're a white kid and you whistled at somebody, you weren't getting murdered. You weren't getting anything. No. So the extreme of how to punish somebody of something that's not even punishable, like why? But there's a whole bunch of things about Fuck. whether or not she actually recanted it or back because it wasn't recorded on the tape. And you Fuck can go her regardless. Yeah. Fuck. I, I agree. Fuck you, Caroline. Let's be honest. I, I, she's probably dead now, right? She is. Hey, I am summoning your ghost so I can spit in your face. I hope you're in hell. Yeah, we can name shame. I don't care. You and your goddamn husband. We got a couple of those in here. Cut his, cut his dick off and put it in his mouth. How about that? Yeah. That's fun for you, right? I'll whistle you all day. Yeah. I'm so worked up. I know. I know. Dude, it's, I, I feel bad because it's not going to get any better after in a little while. It is, but it isn't. Not really. Anyways. Uh, and here's the thing is, I'm not even, I'm not even going too much into detail about it. The more you go into it, it's, it's it gets worse and worse as you read more into it. And it compounds because you realize what's well, not uncommon. 
So Emmett Till, these these scenarios with the uh, there's a lot to digest with the buses um, not giving up their seats. This is causing a lot of stir in the media, in the black community, of course. Mm. Um, there's even people that are white. They're going like, "Wow!" Especially with the Emmett Till, they're well. It's hard to shocked, um, but not everybody. I mean, there's people that just go, "Yeah, yeah. he probably did something. He probably deserved it." Yeah, I, which is what we say now. And we're yeah. When a black kid gets killed, mm -hmm. or a black man. You have to understand that this is still fairly common. This isn't like, oh, this is that one-time thing. Like, yeah, okay, I can agree that's awful. That shouldn't happen. It's common enough, and there's no justice at all being done about it. Mm. Like we said, the two guys got acquitted. Nothing happened. Nothing became of it, other than it further helped push for a movement in the black community. That shit does not fucking change. Like, yeah. back then, they were able to justify whatever that he hit on a white lady but now you know a black guy dies well he's probably a drug dealer yeah he's probably a bad guy he's probably a bad character they automatically just start assuming the worst and that the, the person deserved it when they had no idea if they did or not and even if they did do something they do know. they deserve to die this goes into a whole bunch of stuff well that could, the police well. are smarter they know they, they can look at a black guy in the face and go that criminal and then just i'm gonna kill him and clean up the streets but to get back into it rosa parks uh <sighs> is basically all, all this stuff happened. It leads to what's called the Montgomery Bus Boycott. And this is actually fucking awesome. I heard of this. I love this because when I when I heard about this, I, I didn't know much about the bus boycotts. I knew that people weren't giving up their seats. Mm -hmm. However, I didn't know about the boycott itself. And when I first read Montgomery Bus Boycott, I was like, well, okay, so they're going to boycott the bus. Whatever. Like, that can't be that. Dude, this is something that's like one of my that, favorite parts of the story. This is not bus boycotts, like bus boys who sleep on cots. It's not. Bus boycott. I'm still hearing the same. It's a bus boy who sleeps on yeah, a cot. Boys hole. Oh, boys hole. No, boys soul. Boys hole. That's what I said. Boys hole. All right. So the day that Rosa Park is arrested, the community pumps out a thousand or thousands of leaflets calling to put this boycott for the buses in action. And they asked Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who's 26 years old at this time, mm. um, who's virtually unknown for the most part. They ask him to come be the spokesperson, and he accepts to do this and to join the boycott. Now, the reason why they got him was because he was just barely new to the city where they were going to hold this. Yeah. And he hadn't been intimidated yet by any of the white men. He's like, fuck you guys. So they wanted someone fresh, and they wanted someone. They knew he was a good spokesperson. They, they knew he was well-educated. So they're like, come help. And he's like, yeah, Sure, I'll come do it. Daddy King's here. Yeah, Daddy King Jr. I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Just a couple days after Rosa Park is arrested, Martin goes and gives a speech to about 5,000 people with only about 20 minutes of prep. They were like, hey, this is one that's going to happen. Do you want to come do it? And he's like, yeah. They confirmed during this meeting that they're going to go through with the boycott, uh, which is to not use city transit. That's what they're going to do. This is a Gandhi style of boycott. Yeah, I, I thought boycott. that this was his plan because it, it was inspired by Gandhi, but you, you're saying that they had the plan they they employed him. So the community's <laughs> kind of coming up with this plan, cool. and he's joined in on it now, and he's going to speak and rile everybody up to join up. Hella. Boycott is actually, it's a huge influence, and it's really kind of one of the major starts of the civil rights movement hmm. as far as boycotts and protests go. I mean, the civil rights movement has technically kind of already started, but it's in smaller little doses. This is the first real major, like, get your teeth sink into it. And so around 1952, boycott against the buses. The idea was that they weren't going to ride them anymore. They're actually hemorrhaging money because of it. Oh, there's a lot of black people down there. A lot of black people were using nobody's, the buses. Nobody's buying a bus pass. They're getting a, a lot of gap. Now, this is kind of a fun story because of how the battling goes back and forth. It's like if hipsters stop using Uber. The economy collapses. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and this really gives Martin recognition mm -hmm. for being 
kind of the starting of the civil rights movement. It's like kind of what gets his face out there um, to sure. start with. Now, the boycott starts in December of 1955. It lasts for 385 days. Wow. And it is extremely effective, putting serious economic distress on the city as black people start a system of carpooling. <laughs> they have a bunch of volunteers that will drive around um, other people to their destinations. Uber. They're raising money to help make sure that they can kind of keep this going. Like churches are getting involved. Everyone's getting involved. This is getting huge. There's nice. even a bunch of white people who are in favor of the boycott who also uh, offer to drive uh, people around. I don't trust them. Don't worry, man. We've got some good, at least. Like some good people. There's a few of them? Just kidding. I know there's a lot. They offer to drive black people well, around as well. Like 12. Um, taxi drivers are even getting involved to the point where they're not supposed to do this. Supposed to charge them what the taxi rate is, but they give black people rides for the price mm-hmm. of what the bus would have been, which is like 10 cents. Taxis, you All might right. spend 45 cents to get from one side of town to the other. Taxis are like, no, I'll do it for 10 cents. That's how much a bus ride would. That's cool as hell. So the Shit, whole yeah. community fist in the air. Yes. Let's do this. Shit, yeah. We don't eat your fucking salt. Yeah. And it's funny because all of this is working so well that the city needs to fucking fight back because it's, it's actually working. That's it, awesome. It's so weird that it is to me. I think about them like, okay, so they're losing a little bit of money. No, like it's, it's a big problem. The funny thing is this is the same reaction we had to Gandhi's salt. Yep. We were like, seriously, that's this, what that it all did, took. That did anything? Yeah. And no, it fucking it, did. Yeah. It's huge. The problem with this is the city. They tried a whole bunch of different strategies. I mean, they're always met back with a better strategy from the activists that are for civil rights. So what happens is the city first is like, okay, well, um, fine. Let's go talk to the insurance companies, the local insurance companies, and tell them that they shouldn't insure these cars that we know are known carpoolers for black. So they go tell the uh, insurance companies, like, knock it off. Don't insure them anymore. And then we can arrest them. We can do all sorts of stuff if they don't have insurance. Yeah. And it's funny because this completely backfires as the community decides to be like, okay, we'll go find a different insurance company, which they do. State Farm. And they find one that is, it's actually a London-based insurance company. It's strange. It's called Lloyd's of London. And Lloyd's of London is totally for it. Like, they're totally for the uh, boycott. They're for the business of it. I think they're actually for the boycott itself, too. They're already kind of supportive. And they're like, hey, if they're not going to do it, come on over here. So not only does it backfire because the local businesses that are now being dickheads (laughs) lose all their business, their competitors are now picking it all right back up and like, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. So they try to, they try to stop carpooling in general by saying like, you know, the black people, they're, they're fitting too many people in the car. It's illegal. They have to have smaller amount of people. Sure. And this is all done by what's called the White Citizens Council. Yeah, it's, it's shitty. It's like you would think it is. Assholes. It's, they're known as the Uptown Clan because it's like the KKK, but they preach nonviolence. They're sure. not quite like their brothers Ugh, of the Ku Klux Klan. Totally different. They're totally assholes and they do do violent acts. Cletus! So. Put, come put your dick in me. So they order cab drivers. We're going to the meeting. Yeah. The uh, Uptown Clan, they order the cab drivers that they have to, no matter what, charge 45 cents or they will be fined. If they're <laughs> charging their customers anything less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll get fined. However, it doesn't really help too much on that sense. They, they try to make a whole bunch of laws or they try to manipulate laws that already exist to the point where like, well, you can't use a motorized vehicle on this section of the street or this city, this part of the city while it's under construction. They're trying to do everything they can. So they actually get like horses and buggies or donkeys. People are riding bicycles. Really, a majority of the people are actually just walking. That they'd rather do that and be part of the cause. Yeah, there you go. And help than to get on there. So people are walking to work back and forth miles and yeah, it, it's working. And this is all because of the stupid Jim Crow laws. 
So near the beginning of the boycott in February, Martin and 88 other boycotters and leaders are carpooling and driving and they find out that their police are going to try to come arrest them. Rather than just waiting for it, they decide to just go turn themselves in in defiance. They're like, you know what? We'll walk right up to you. And here, you guys are looking for us, I think, to arrest us. Here we are. Because it's illegal to carpool, apparently. Yeah. Now, Martin is ordered to pay a $500 fine or serve 386 days in jail. He ended up spending two weeks in jail as the move from the city backfired from all the stuff they tried to do. Hmm. And it got national attention in this protest. Uh, Martin commented that the arrest saying, I was proud of my crime and it was the crime of joining my people in a nonviolent protest against injustice. So it's going to go crime. nationally that people are essentially not doing anything wrong yet they're being oppressed. They're being arrested. They're being yeah. beaten. Right. So it's in favor that he's actually getting arrested and it's getting broadcasted. And he even says like, yeah, I'd do it again. Like I didn't do anything wrong. So if this is what it means to get arrested, yeah. then I'll, okay, arrest it's what, me. It's what Gandhi did too. Yep. He's like, I just followed that script because it works. Dude, it's brilliant. And he continues to use this. Like, and why did they well, let him out? Because the national public was like, don't be a dick. Well, the boycott gets so intense that boycotters are physically attacked. Black Baptist Church, there's uh, actually four churches get firebombed. Yeah. Martin's house gets firebombed. Firebombed. Yeah. Like somebody's throwing a bomb? Like a Molotov cocktail kind of thing? Well, what the one on Martin's house is bigger than a Molotov, that's for sure. It mm. what, it, what, it didn't blow down an entire wall, but if you you can find pictures of it, and it does not look like, yeah, it does damage. And like they it's think falling apart. This is like KKK, folks? Uh, so it's a mixture. That's the thing is it's kind of hard to tell because sometimes the KKK takes credit and sometimes they don't. So it's either the KKK or it's just white mob assholes. It's just the people who are like, we are nonviolent. I mean, fire's not violent as long as you run away from it. I'm just going to burn your house down. Yeah. Yeah, and churches. Yeah. I don't like walls. It's not a race thing. I just want to burn them down. Yeah. Black churches? Yeah. I just don't like churches. Yeah. I don't like when I see black people go into a building, so I learn how to fire. It's not yeah. violence. Dude, this kind of stuff comes up. Look, they probably deserved it. To answer your question, yes. He, They're all crips. He only spends two weeks because it gets so intense with the media and everything that they, they release them. They're like, Hella. They're like, uh, okay, uh, this is not going well. Man. Now, when his house is firebombed, his wife was home mm. um, with her daughter, Yolanda, and a friend from the church. Uh, luckily, no one was harmed inside the house. But, yeah, the, the front house is blasted up pretty good. You can see the pictures, like I was saying. I'm going to look it up. It's actually a bomb? Yeah, so there's wow. two different instances. So you want to look up the one that says that's for, I say it's two different instances. Yeah, this is how bad it is. 1956. Put that into your search, and that way you'll find the right picture. Um, You'll see all the wood shrapnel and everything falling down around the front of the house. Fuck. So, uh, Coretta, when the bomb goes off, uh, she actually calls the Baptist church. Uh, I noted that almost immediately for whatever reason. It was like, the bomb goes off. You can't call the police if you're a black person. They're not gonna, they're not gonna help you. <laughs> they don't care. So she calls the, the Baptist church and reports what happens. And Martin, luckily, he's able to afterwards, of course, being released, he comes home, finds his family's unharmed, but he goes outside later at night and he is surrounded by about 300 of his supporters. Damn. Who are angry and armed. Yeah, they're ready to fucking, let's do this. Yes. It's even a score. Yes. They're ready to go help for his sake because they bombed his house. And of course, this is attack on all of them. His house is fucked up. However, Martin gives an impromptu speech stating, if you have weapons, take them home. If you do not have them, please do not seek to get them. 
We cannot solve this problem through a, a retaliatory violence. We must meet violence with non-violence. Remember the words of Jesus who said, lives by the sword will perish by the sword. We must love our white brothers no matter what they do to us. We must make them know that we love them. Jesus still cries out in the words that echo across the centuries. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them mm. that despitefully use you. This is what we must live by. We must meet hate with love. So after his house gets bombed, turn the other cheek, where his family members are actually in danger, and this is on top of everything that's already going on with just being black and getting hurt or killed. Huge balls. So how he was able to get this perspective so well, I mean, because I would never come to this conclusion in a million years. And if I was in that time frame... I wouldn't have probably joined that kind of thing. It's only in retrospective seeing not only how effective and really that's what it comes down to is efficiency. True. It actually ends up being very efficient. The, the violence it doesn't work. But yeah, I would have been angry. I would have been one of the guys that was at his doorstep with a gun being Just like... would have killed everybody. Yeah. So... Well, that's... Yeah. His PhD in religion has worked out. He's I got, think so. He's got a PhD in God. Well, he's, he's he knows. a great speaker and he always does usually have obviously a lot of religious aspects in his speeches however those aren't always the most genius parts in my opinion um he's just well spoken the whole time and you'll see many others and it is huge balls yes yeah it's gotta be after facing this he ends up turning and saying to everybody yes calm down it's okay we have a plan so both martin and coretta's fathers are actually trying to convince them to either move away or move with them to Mm. another city you know uh, come live with them, but they, they do not. They are dedicated to the cause. They're not going to run away. That's how they kind of view it is. No, oh, we're here and we're fighting for our rights. So pressure increases across the country and a famous civil suit is filed and then heard on June 4th, 1956, uh, called Broider versus Gale, which ruled the Alabama racial segregation laws for buses were unconstitutional, yeah, oh, but yeah, the state yeah. tried to appeal the decision. So the boycott continued. However, when the case moved to the United States Supreme Court on November 13th of 1956, the Supreme Court upheld the district's court ruling saying like, no, yeah, segregation is stupid. So hmm. you have to get rid of it on buses and transportation. It's now against the law to enforce segregation in those kind of senses. Bam! So the boycott officially ended in December 20th of 1956 after, like I said, 385 days that it went. Hmm. So that took about a year. The city passed uh, an ordinance authorizing black passengers to be able to sit wherever they choose on the bus. Montgomery bus boycott was the kickoff point that would then further the desegregation of public buses along with other uh, facilities. What up now? Yeah, so the boycott worked. About a year's worth of work of not riding a bus, which seems odd to me when I first read this. Yeah. It started the point of the civil rights movement. We should boycott some shit. Right? It's a powerful fucking tool, dude. What do I hate enough? I don't know. I don't think think I'm oppressed in any kind of way that it would need. (laughs) I'm not impressed. I am inconvenienced. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea about any about oppression yeah i feel oppressed sometimes when i can't find a good pair of jeans it's a bunch of shit yeah. i'm gonna boycott that i don't even want to hear about that i'm six foot one and have a 28 inch waist <laughs> yeah which is funny because i'm tiny and i have a much larger waist and i can't <laughs> okay we're on the both yeah we got yeah we're both weirdly shaped <laughs> yeah it sucks huh <laughs> <laughs> all right but this gives martin luther king a lot of attention he's now 
He's the dude now. He's now got a face on there for the civil rights Fuck yeah. activism. Right. So in 1957, Martin starts meeting with a lot of different organizations and churches. He's trying to gather people to all go over goals and gaining civil rights through nonviolent protests. Mm-hmm. And he is extremely strong about this. Daddy's home. You cannot be violent. It will not work. We will lose if we are violent. That's yes. what he's saying. Totally right, man. So there's a thing called the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Uh, I'm This is going to come up quite a bit throughout the thing. Uh, mm. SLCL for short. This is an organization that's basically the civil rights activists mm. like this is the organization there's many but this is like the one that martin luther king is very well tied to all right so in 1958 martin writes and publishes his first book hey look at that yeah which is called stride toward freedom which is a historical account of the montgomery bus boycott all right it's the conditions of the african-americans living as well in alabama he's a good oh, writer a terrible place he's a brilliant writer hmm I haven't read all of his book by any means. He's got a ton of them out there. I've read a bunch of his stuff from the papers of Martin Luther King, which are brilliant. And then I also have a book of his that is called The uh, uh, We Cannot Wait, which we'll get into later. Sweet. But um, he is a brilliant writer. And if you even go look at the reviews, even today on these books, it is like five stars across the board. You know, 500 people commenting, saying like, yeah, this might be one of the greatest like literature <laughs> in today's day. Weird. Yeah, especially for this time frame and knowing what was going on. And he, yeah, he was just well, as well-spoken, he was well uh, of a writer. He's the perfect fucking guy for this scenario. Dude, it's insane. He's the peered. If he wasn't, if he wasn't here, I don't know what would have happened then. Shit. Dad is home. Yeah, he writes about this book. He, he writes his, his first book and it, it's, it's a lot about African American lives in Alabama as well. I, I know I said that, but Alabama was a shitty fucking place during this time and we're uh-huh. going to get into that. Still but, is. But he also, in his book, talks about the beginning of nonviolent civil rights movement. He's still, like, nonviolent is tied to his name. You just got to keep that in mind. Cause it's hard to hit a guy who's not hitting you back. Not for some people, but hopefully for enough. I don't know. Fuck, dude. I don't know anything about it. But after publishing his book, he goes to Harlem because he's going to go do some book signings. Cool. He's going to go talk to people. He's trying to get the message out there. Sure. And while he's there, a lady named Isola Curry attempts to assassinate him by stabbing him with a letter opener in the chest. Who's she? She is a black lady who is found to be clinically insane. That makes sense. She thinks, in her mind, she thinks that Martin is trying to conspire against her along with communists to overthrow her. Like, it's... Well... It gets to the point where it goes to court and she can't stand trial. To her credit, I'm pretty sure that... Martin Luther King and the communists did implant microphones of her, into her bones. Her and her cats. Both. Yeah. yeah. And so they also implanted these microchips into the back of her eyes so that they could force her to see things she didn't want to see. And, you know, history goes back and forth on whether or not that was right. Uh, but we, it happened. It happened. <laughs> so maybe, maybe yeah, she wasn't wrong. Unfortunately, it turns out that she uh, was suffering from mental illness. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther King himself comes out and uh, first states he, he forgives her, and then when he you know finds out more that there's of course he forgives her that she's <laughs> has mental problems, he then is like, yeah, she's not her. Yeah, why is he not? I don't know, dude. If someone don't... if someone punches me in the arm too hard, I'm gonna rip your head off. I'll at least yell at you. I don't know. I I got some aggressive. How is he not portrayed as Black Jesus? Like when I don't know, he, he should be. When he came back, why weren't people like, "Hey, didn't Jesus say he was coming back? Isn't it that guy?" Uh, yeah, that's, 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 that's the second coming. That's the guy, right? It should have been Martin Luther King. Fuck, dude. I don't know, but nonetheless, 
he is taken to the hospital because of this because it is so close to his artery. Oh, wow. Uh, his areola. Areola. Areolas. Areolas. That's not, that's not the word she I'm looking for. He stabbed his areolas. <laughs> no. Aorta. Yeah. Daddy's nipples bleed for you. That it almost killed him. And the I surgery. Didn't know that. Yeah. The surgery went well, luckily, but the doctor told him, is like, yeah, it's so close that if you were to sneeze right now, you could possibly die because it could rip it open. <laughs> and it's like, it's like the tear. Is oh, such a, a a possibility. Can't you imagine, like hearing that from a doctor? You just uh, oh god, don't hold my breath, hold my breath, hold my breath. Yeah. Well, it's so there's kind of something kind of cute that happens here, where a little girl um, later will write him a, a letter saying that she was happy that he didn't sneeze because the the story got out <laughs> that if he would have sneezed, he could have died, and he writes back saying that he's happy I, that he didn't sneeze I, too. I, and he's like, luckily he's I'm not allergic to a lot of stuff. <laughs> Thanks for your concern it's just such a weird kind of like i'm glad you didn't like it's so cute and yeah it's fun so yeah he remained in the hospital for several weeks because of this in 1959 martin writes a a short book called uh the measure of man Hmm. it's also a great book which is funny because it's 34 pages long that's it it's really just two of his speeches and a couple thoughts on manifesto kind of thing yeah uh it's speeches that were sermons that he kind of gave but I guess these thoughts that he had and wrote down are brilliant. I actually, uh, I didn't go pick up the book to go read it, but I read a lot of comments on it just to see what people were saying. Mm. And, uh, people were going like, this stuff still holds up today. Wow. The stuff that he's talking about back then is still relevant today of the issues and what he was talking about. I hate people time. I don't, every week I realize you don't know anything and you never did. This is why we're doing it. And <laughs> we're helping other people too. Incrementally, okay. I'm not a complete moron. Yeah. Still am, but I'm working on it. <laughs> and that's what we're doing. Chipping away. Yeah. Dude, I, Martin Luther King is my new favorite person. Fuck. Dude. And I, I that's despise so- the schooling system for making me read The Outsiders when I should have been reading this. Because don't get me wrong, I still like The Outsiders as a book. I was forced mm. to read it and I have no idea why. This is something that I didn't even learn about in Black History Month that they were celebrating in school. True. That's true. I didn't true. know any of this shit. Yeah. So, uh, jumping back into Martin, uh, in February of 1960, he's 31 years old, just to give you some context. This is what he's already been doing. Like, I'm, th- I'm almost 31 years old. Yeah, I haven't I done suck. anything. And yeah, this, I don't have a doctorate. I don't, haven't done anything amazing. This is like, this is one of those people that you, no. when you learn about, you realize that you're either a pile of shit. You're nothing special, that's for sure. No. And anyways, but so he's 31 years old. Yeah. Uh, this is where we find the Greensboro sit-ins. This is where the first sit-ins happen. Oh, yeah. I like these stories because these people are fucking brave and brilliant. Oh, my God. Sit-ins so, are tough. Yeah, dude. And within the first sit-ins, what happened was four black students actually in North Carolina were going to a, what's called the A&T College, sat down at a lunch counter in downtown Greensboro. They sit down... After they go and buy some stuff at the store, again, they're allowed to go buy stuff, but they're not supposed to go sit at the counter afterwards. Yeah, God forbid. But they did. So they go sit down, and they know they're not supposed to, uh, according to the uh, Jim Crow laws. Yeah. Yeah. And the waitress comes over and asks them, asks them hey, you have to leave. Oh, and, uh, you got, you're different than me. Um, what, what are you doing here? You smell different than me. I don't like it. Yeah. You know, get out of here. And they say politely, no thanks. Yeah, we're consumers. It's fine. And so they, they uh, uh, well, I'm a, I'm gonna stab you now. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any other instincts. Luckily, in this scenario, that doesn't happen. Thank God. 
So these four students, they sit down at the, at the counter. They say no, thank you. They wait until the store is closing time, and they get up and leave. Uh, word gets around. This is how fucking insane it is that mm-hmm. this happened, was that word gets around, and two dozen students come back the next day because they all want to sit at the counter because they're like, wait a second, we can sit at the counter? This is awesome. Like, we're allowed to? People are going to let us? So they sit at the counter, and it actually gets uh, media attention. They get reporters, and all fuck of a sudden yeah. everyone's like, this is a big deal. There's black kids sitting in white people's seats. What, what did the they fuck? do? Did they just play checkers? They or hung out, ate food. They weren't wars. being disruptive. They were being nonviolent. Um, luckily, there is actually no confrontation at this point. Well, I've I seen those it. pictures where they dump milkshakes yeah. and shit on them. Dude, it's even worse than that. Pissy pants, little... I don't like being white anymore. Yeah, well, I think there's a difference between feeling guilty and... Uh, also respecting and understanding the differences that I also don't still do that. need to be changed. Anyways, that can get into another topic. But so after the two dozen kids go and sit there and the local media gets attention, by the third day the students formed what was called the Student Executive Committee for Justice, which oh. was to coordinate protest, um, because they still technically were breaking the law according to the Jim Crow laws. They start actually organizing themselves. And these are students, some of them are young, um, they're, they're doing a lot of this without any kind of Hey, man. Uh, you know, there's not other organizations. They're kind of creating their own little organization. Kids have the energy. Yes. Punk rock. They start putting pressure on uh, the mayor of Greensboro to stop Hell the yeah. segregation. Yeah. The mayor's also getting that from the other side now. Now the white fuckers are coming in going like, hey, these kids are sitting. They're illegal. They're sitting. sitting here. Can you believe? Look, can you believe it? They're sitting there. Yeah. Minding their own business. For Christ's sake. Can sakes. you believe that? And the mayor goes, <gasps> sitting Negroes. Yep. And that's kind of... Burn the, it down. The, the mayor does get involved and tells the black students that they have to stop their protest and not sit at the counter. <laughs> you have to stop sitting peacefully. Yeah, dude, it's You're stupid. driving me crazy with your quiet sitting. Yes. So he tells them, and um, he tries to do it diplomatically. Really what this is is a very common thing that would happen. If anyone was... There's there's multiple kinds of racism, obviously. There's the direct racism. In the South, it's very predominant of just in your face. They'll just call you a nigger and punch you in the face. Don't care. It's awful. There's the kind of underlying where it's like they pretend that they're not or that they're trying to be peaceful or helpful, but really they're not doing anything or they're making it worse behind the scenes, right? So Compl- this is like what the mayor... Complacent yeah. racism. So there's complacent, which is still obviously terrible. Which is what the Mormons have. Yes. Oh, my God. But with this one here is the mayor saying, like, look, stop the protest because we don't want any bad things to happen. And we'll come up with a a just and an honorable resolution. You fuck off and leave forever. Which is really him just exactly. Uh, We're not going to do anything. You just go away. Um, But, you know, they don't fall for this because they've seen it happen. They don't give a shit. They know. So they actually this causes students um, to launch a ton of counter protests. And by the end of the month, there are sit-ins that have taken place in 30 different locations in seven different states. Wow. And by the end of April, over 50,000 students participate in sit-ins. And all they're doing is sitting where other people also sit. Yikes. Yeah. Fuck, dude. I get it. I don't like sitting next to a Michiganite, but they're just sitting there peacefully. Yeah. 
and it's all everybody's losing their fucking minds so like during this time <laughs> yeah yeah during this time of all these sit-ins Fuck. And, and they're well organized all of these sit-ins they're all train training each other to do it non-violently if, if anyone approaches them they sit there if even if they get hit they just sit there they don't they don't retaliate the whole thing if, if they get pulled off the seat they just get back up and then they try to get back to the seat that was the whole thing was they were just going to try to maintain the protest by staying in the seats yeah, we'll get to more of how brutal it gets a little bit later on. This is just a little bit of get into yeah. the sit-ins. Little brats. Yeah. Because I, I would imagine it's white high school kids. It like is. Football players dragging them off the seat and then sitting in it like, who oh, no, I'm done sitting. It's adults too, though, unfortunately. I mean, uh, I say unfortunately, like, it's not uncommon. It, this, it, it's everybody that's white, pretty much. So. We're the devil. Um, There are some people who are white that are for the cause of helping for civil rights and sure. they are we'll get into how much they get involved but there are those that are trying to be supportive so yeah the students they are organizing everything they can they actually lead a workshop called a uh, gandhian nonviolence. Ah. so they're even naming it after like gandhi because hold, hold the salt so and that's i, I kind of want to urge and we will we'll get more into this that I'm not just saying they were being nonviolence because it sounds good that like they never hit back. I'm telling you, they had a lot of discipline to not fight back. And you can see videos of this online and they, they curl up in balls. They don't fight back. They protect their heads. And then when they think they can get up, if they can, mm-hmm. they get back up and they hurry and sit down in the seat. They're not even for a second throwing a punch or anything. Mm. So I'm not just being like trying to, you know, really romanticize of how good these guys were. They were being strict about being nonviolent. They were being, their ass was being beat. Yes. To sit down. So the nonviolence was a central component of the students-led demonstration. fucking... I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. If someone threw a rock at my head, I'm going to go fucking kill that guy. Well, that just means... Because you're almost, you could possibly kill me with that. And if I'm not doing anything and you're, you're being that malicious... Yeah. And you're throwing rocks at me and other people. I'll go find you and at least kick your ass. Something. I'm gonna fuck you up. I'll key your car. Yeah. If I get hit in the head with a rock, are you fucking kidding me? Well, we were talking before about how so much of this is the is resonating into the present. How much the '50s is still happening? Yep. It's like if if you're black and you go sit at the counter of a pizza parlor in the South, it's because these kids sat there and got beat up. Yep. Until they changed. Otherwise, you still wouldn't be able to. It's true. It's how much that we're still in that timeline where... Well, you're going to see how long it still takes to be able to even get to the point where they can, and legally, and then can legally, probably like with still not getting resistance. 1992, so. maybe? Oh, boy. Somewhere in there. It's, yeah. Anyway, so nonviolence is the central component of the students' um, demonstrations. So they're good about this. Um, many protesters were not met with uh, peaceful responses, of course. Mm. Although pre- protesters were routinely heckled, they're beaten by uh, segregationists, um, they're arrested by police, but their determination uh, was unyielding. Martin himself wrote, The key significance of the student movement lies in the fact that from its inception everywhere, it has combined direct action with nonviolence. The quality has given it an extraordinary power and discipline which every thinking person observes. Uh, he praises them. Tells them to continue on, which is a hard thing, I'm sure, to have to do, knowing that they're going to be getting hurt. Do it. And sometimes getting murdered. But you kind of need everybody on board. It's not going to work otherwise. Yeah. 
Yeah, I also have to kind of give a lot of credit to some of uh, my research. I found a really nice place to research this stuff. Real quick, just giving a shout out to the uh, Stanford University who put up a ton of research when it came to Martin Luther King. Wow. A lot through his papers of the Martin Luther King, which is a 14 volume long, great information. It really made my research super much easier. But anyways, so yeah. People Time is brought to you by Stanford University. Thank you, Stanford University, for your guys' research and way yeah. to present it and it's free online you can go find all of their stuff go to stanford online uh go to their promotional page put in people time and they will send you a pack of pringles samford's gonna sue us be like why am i getting requests for pringles <laughs> we're not giving free pringles <laughs> we don't even know what that means uh, well so- it's because the pringles uh sh- are shaped to fit into each other and that's what that's what martin was trying to get us to do is to get along yeah it's the same <laughs> So I, I do have a, an instance um, during these sit-ins that were often violent against them. Not the pizza-flavored Pringles, though. Those are, pretty, <laughs> those are pretty bad. Just the regular ones and the salt and vinegar. So there's a lady named... Hold the salt, though, because of Gandhi. So there's a, there's a lady named Joan Trumper, who's the first white person to really join in the black sit-ins. Um, and this is significant for a lot of different reasons in the fact that it shows that there are whites who are trying to support equal rights for blacks. Enough to go get beat up. Yeah, and it shows also that um, it shows the blacks that they have other people they're trying to support, and they're not on it in their yeah. own. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into whether or not they should be involved or not um, through many different activists' um, points of view. But anyways, how it happens to actually come to be with Joan is that they had what they called spotters, and they were already working with some white people that were helpful, but they weren't directly getting involved in the mm. sense of sitting down with them and stuff like that. But they had people that were trying to, white people that were trying to help in some way. So they had spotters. Spotters were people who, these things were organized extremely well. It wasn't just like, okay, have 40 be. of us are going to go sit down here and that's what's going to happen. No, no, no. They were like planned out extremely detailed. This person and this person, they're going to sit over here. They're going to sit here for this long. If for whatever reason they get removed from their seats, these people are going to be the backups that come in. Ah, if this happens, they, they're doing everything they can. So they would often get a lot of people involved, but they had hmm. people to rotate in because they weren't going to let it just stop if they got kicked out. Well, they were you gotta, going to continue day after day after day. Got to get a break. Yeah. And what they would do is they had a really good communication line going where when they planned it out, this is the time that we're going to do it. Okay, we're going to go in. They'd have a bunch of people that shift in and out that would constantly go make phone calls and, and like update. Like, this is what's going on now. This is who is sitting there now because so-and-so got taken away. This is what... Wild. It's smart because they're keeping everybody in the loop so that way they can shift people where they need to because they're hitting multiple places at once. Huh. It's also a lot of people are getting arrested, which is also kind of part of the cause. They actually know that that's what they expect is going to happen in the end. And they think that, okay, that's going to bring publicity. It's um, good. Good for the movement. For the cause, right. So Joan is a spotter. She's just there to basically... Keep an eye on everything. Pass messages back and forth. Uh-huh. During one of the encounters, I like Joan. Joan, huh? Yeah, well, Joan Trumpier. She she good looking. Um. Yeah, she is. Sure. Yeah. 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 I saw an interview with her. She's she's a cool she's a cool lady. <clears throat> well, she's got balls. They they planned one out, and it unfortunately fell apart quicker than they thought because they actually had picket lines that got arrested quicker than they figured was going to happen, uh-huh. and they were able to then pull everybody out of the the store that they were sitting in so there's like three black people who decide that they're going to continue on with it but it's kind of fallen apart at this point so they sit down a cop comes in an off-duty cop white dude fuck the police sees the black kids sitting in a spot that they're 
legally not supposed to be sitting according to the gym fucking crow laws. And he grabs the black guy, pulls him off, and he's a student, he's a young kid, and he starts kicking the shit out of him. Right, like you do. And the black guy curls up. Yeah, that's in the police protocol book. Yeah. The black guy curls up, he doesn't fight back at all, just like they've been doing this whole entire time. And it starts to get rowdy where everybody is. Because when the black people started sitting down at these seats, people lost their minds for whatever fucking so stupid fucking reason. funny. Yeah. While he's getting beat up, there's Can't like, sit there. Yeah. Uh, They're like, oh my God, uh, you're sitting at the white person's chair? I don't like this. It's it's even worse I than that. People are like shouting. This. They're freaking out. They're yelling at them. They're saying, you can't fucking sit here. They're losing their minds. So You go to the back of the bus. I mean, the back of the store. I mean, you get out of the store. Uh, change, your, change your color. Go back to Africa. It's just uh-huh. like, what are you? What are you? Yeah. Cannot compute. It's insane. Just so hit, hit him in the face. Hit while, him in the face. Yeah. While this is happening, another white man approaches. Joan sees that he has a knife, and she calls it out because Ooh. she's afraid that one of them is going to get stabbed. So she's friends with the black people, obviously. So she calls him out by name and is like, white guy with a knife coming. Like, she she blurts it out like, dude, be careful. Get out of there. Do something. Look you know? out. When she screams it, everybody hears it. Negro lover. Yeah. Uh. So instantly, everyone kind of turns to her and is like, whoa, that white chick just- Is that a white lady? And she wasn't supposed to really be joining in the sit-in, but at that point, she's realizing that everybody knows she's a part of it. She decides to just fucking sit down in the seat next to the black kids that are still sitting there, while the other guy who was getting beat up is still on the ground. You're in it now, Joan. Luckily, they had another spotter who was able to run out real quick and go make a phone call and be like, something Uh. crazy's happening right now. Joan got caught as being part of the thing, and she's now sitting with the black kids and they have like a really quick meeting with the leaders that were part of it at that point. They're like, what do we do? Do we go down there and, and try to continue sitting? Do we go down there and try to rescue them? We can't <sighs> leave them there. This is rough. So there's another guy who's a white guy who's a, who's one of the leaders that's helping construct the organizing all this. He runs down and he doesn't know what to do. So he sits down too. <laughs> so this is the first sit-in mix of both white and black people protesting. And the white people there are just... They lose it. What? They freak the this, fuck out. This is when this is when I take my dog's bone away from him and pretend like I'm eating it. Yeah. He goes, what? That's my... No, wait. You don't... Hey, hold on. But then mix it with like an insane amount of anger and screaming. A billion years of uh, in, ingrained racism. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's so fucking so strange. when he sits down... Then everybody goes nuts. Brass knuckles are pulled out. Yeah. He is getting punched in the head. She's getting punched. They're all getting punched. I mean, the black people, I think, are still getting the worst of it. Con- yeah, where I'm they're, sure. like, grabbing them and throwing them across the room and shit. But they're also burning cigarettes out on their necks. They're dumping food, water. They're throwing pepper into their eyes. They're trying to, like, mix it with water and, like, shove it into their eyes. Like, they're they're fucking beating the shit out of them. What the fuck? Yeah, it's insane. And some that stated that, like... Some of the guys got extremely rough with the white guy, particularly because it was like to show other whites that you better not join up and help them. So they might have beaten him up more, but it's kind of like the black, they all got fucked up. Yeah, the bad. black people definitely got the brunt of it. I I think so That's too. Still the case. Well, and you said this happened over several states. Well, so over seven states was like a lot of the sit-ins happened. Yes, this one is the first one where we can expect like, well, that this this type of ferocity was happening. The, all the sit-ins are, are met with violence. Where these much. black kids were 
cigarettes being put out on them and being thrown yes around. oh yes so Kids. everything I'm everything I'm describing that's happening in this it's the same thing going across all the sit-ins I mean it, some of them are it's not KKK always it's not even always the police it's sometimes it's just, just regular people I bet a, yeah three people who don't know each other all of a sudden all decide that they're gonna join in and be the shit out of someone and they're like high-fiving each other and shit what are we going to do in this town? We can go beat up some Negroes. Yeah. Well, you know what? They've been planting themselves in that restaurant, so they're easier to find now. Let's go put my cigarette out on them. Yeah, no, they're Mama be proud. So, yeah, that all happens. Um, I'm a mama sister. I got to get home early to fuck her. Yeah. Well, and, and it stated the, those those people that were in the sit-in there, um, they didn't think they were going to get out alive. Luckily, they did. Like, And you can see interviews, all of them. Nobody died from these? Not from this particular one of that one but, I just described. But people do die in sit-ins. Yeah, they sometimes get pulled out and shot or killed or beaten to death. Sure. So, um, but luckily these guys, in this sense, they all, all of them got out and... I'm going to rip my fucking hair out. Yeah. You can see some <laughs> interviews with them too and they I talk about I don't even have it. a lot of hair. I'm, it's it's going to take a lot of work, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's how mad I am. Yeah. <laughs> the girl who was, uh, there was a black girl who was sitting there, obviously at, at the time, who she was the one who was getting like thrown around the room and into the counter and stuff. And she ends up going on to be an activist, um, like a, a well-known activist mm. in, a, in, a, in a different group um, that's outside of Martin Luther King's. Mm. But in 1960, again, Martin's 31 years old. He's asked to join a sit-in in Atlanta where he and 300 students go to a department store. Is this his first sit-in? Like where he's there? I think so. Cool. I don't think he was in any... I think he helped organize and I think he helped... Yeah. Tried to... Well, and he's, he was going all over the place at this point trying to get... Yeah. And he's one of the head yeah. of the movement, so yeah. But he did join a lot of the uh, different protests throughout. You'll see that he's he pops in here and there while he's going and traveling. And this is one where they said, like, hey, come do a sit-in. These are working. Yeah. He's and, like, daddy's going to go take a seat. And he's like, yeah. So uh, he joins 300 students to go to a department store to perform a sit-in. And all of them get arrested. The students are later released, but Martin is held in jail and sentenced to four months of hard labor at Georgia State Prison. Hard labor? And I don't know what hard labor is then, because whenever I think of hard labor, I think of North Korea hard labor, and I don't think that's—I don't think it's the same. But it, I think it's like pounding rocks, right? Like that's what I think of. You're like a chain on the gang. railroad, yeah. They're all in, they're all in stripes and they're chained together, just pounding rocks. Yeah, but he gets sentenced. This, but luckily during this time, Senator John F. Kennedy is campaigning to run for president. The president election is going to be the following year. I like pussy. Yeah, pretty much. That's uh, John F. Kennedy for you. That's, <laughs> that's that's his tagline, huh? <laughs> that's my only impression I have of him. <laughs> Bring me the pussy. He did. Uh, he did like the women. So John F. Kennedy, uh, who was a Democrat and was running against Nixon, Richard Nixon, um, at the Dick. time, yeah, it was one of the uh, closest elections in the U.S. history, one of which Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement played an extremely pivotal role in basically him getting elected. So what happened was hmm. during Kennedy's campaign, Martin is convicted and sentenced, like I was just saying, for four months of hard labor, right, for the sit-in. And Kennedy found out and made a phone call to Martin's wife, Coretta, and he <laughs> offers his sympathy, saying... You know, this is a mistake, and him and his brother Robert, Robert yeah, F. Bobby. Kennedy, um, help get Martin released quickly. They actually call and they're like, "You got to release him. Like, this is not good." Now, it's probably for a political move, and it works obviously, but because yeah. he gets Martin released, Martin ends up like everything's getting documented and, and publicized, right? About all these sit-ins and everything. Yeah. So when he gets in jail, the public knows. When he gets out of jail, there's reporters there, and mm -hmm. it happens to be that. Martin gives him credit 
gives Kennedy credit for helping the movement. And how much of it, like, Kennedy did it out of a sense of uh, human decency or out of political points? It's probably higher political, but Kennedy doesn't seem to be... Who cares? Yeah. He did the right thing Uh, in that case. Matter of fact, it's even said that Martin, he says this outside away from... Mm -hmm the being publicized he says that he thinks kennedy's doing it more for political reasons however he wanted to downplay that when he was actually doing it for the yeah yeah Yeah. well and if you've read uh kennedy's secret memoirs which was his his diary that he kept he exclusively did so he could go down south and get some southern (laughs) tang. and the thing about kennedy not racist white tang black tang doesn't care he's just he's looking for a fresh market but the good news is, I mean, it does help on both sides. It really does. Martin even tells reporters that he has a great debt of gratitude for Kennedy and his family because they are taking the correct steps in helping the black community, and that gets put out to everywhere. So now you're kind of growing a, more of the movement, and you feel like you got the White House, or at least politicians, on your side at this point. Well, because he's not president yet, right? He's working up to that. No, but check this out. Um, word does get around about mm-hmm. Kennedy helping Martin get released, and black voters go in and try to vote much as it is possible because yeah it's not great for voting for black people at this point but sure. kennedy defeats nixon by less than one percent popular vote i didn't know that it's greatly attributed that it might have been the black community might have been able to get that little to get them could be over. it man i always thought maybe he won not but by a lot because the general consensus of nixon is he's kind of a slime ball yeah, but no, it was supposed to be, at, at that time frame, it was one of the closest, if not the closest election. Wow. Um, People yeah. time learning. Shit, yeah. Fuck, dude. But unfortunately, after this, Kennedy administration really doesn't do a whole lot um, for quite a while. They made a lot of promises, oh, and then you, they dragged their feet. and You just, voted for us, and that's all we wanted. Goodbye. Pretty much. They talk to each other. Martin and Kennedy talk to each other every once in a while. Martin's mostly pleading with him, being like, look, you have the power to do stuff. Do stuff. And Kennedy's like, eh, but I don't know. It's well, just, uh, there's, that, it's complicated. On that phone call, he's getting his dick sucked, and he's just <laughs> filling out his pussy journal about, well, so let's see, it's 7.45 now, and about 8.15, I'm going to need another blowjob. Yeah. I need to be getting off every 15 minutes, and I don't know how to, I can't help you right now. Yeah. Maybe the next president. Yeah. As long as I don't get a bullet in my head, nothing's going to stop me from... No. From getting off. Only a bullet in my head is going to stop me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's the only thing. Yeah. So we're going into 1960, 1961, kind of the end of 1960. Uh, as we already discussed, right, it's already been ruled that it's unconstitutional to force segregation on buses. You talked about that before because of the bus boycott, yeah. right? However, uh, and, and though it's federally against the law to tell a black person that they can't sit in a certain spot or they have to sit in a certain spot or anything like that, um, the South pretty much just ignores this completely. Don't like, care. It's not even, yeah. And to make things worse, not only are they ignoring it, but the federal government's not doing anything that the fact that they're ignoring it. Like, eh. no one, no, they, they made the law and they're like, look, you can't tell them where to sit or where not to sit. Segregation's illegal on buses. You gotta get rid of the white plaques and the black plaques that show where they can sit. And then that's all that's pretty much done. Like, it still it's continues. Finger quotes, a, illegal. Yeah. Uh, we don't care. And because of this, we get a campaign of what is called the Freedom Riders. That's a good name. Yeah, they're badass. That sounds like a country band I'd look, I would listen to. <laughs> Not country. No. Just, how about... I don't con- want rednecks associated right now with the Freedom Riders. Eh, country rock then. Okay. Yeah, I still don't like it. Not good? I know, I know, I'm not, rednecks aren't racist in a they, general they are sense. They a lot of the time. But, uh, and it's a terrible thing for me to say, I just, uh... Anyways, 
We're going to get into Alabama shit, and that's where I'm going to start fucking screaming. So Alabama's not a very good band. More like Leonard Skinner. <laughs> so the Freedom Riders. They were a civil rights activist that challenged the status quo by riding interstate buses in the South, and they did it in mixed racial groups to challenge the local illegal laws. Mm. And it sounds like a weird thing to say, the illegal laws, because they were still being enforced, <laughs> yeah. the you know Jim Crow for the uh, segregation on buses, but... Yeah, they're illegal to enforce that. Um, only for buses, unfortunately, at this point. But this caused a lot of things to happen. First, the passengers were arrested by police who charged them with trespassing, unlawful assembly, and violating local Jim Crow laws. What they were essentially trying to do is because they knew that it was technically they, they weren't supposed to be segregating. Mm. When a black person sat where a white person was only allowed to see, they couldn't charge them. You're going to germ it up. With breaking the law on that because technically that law doesn't exist. So they'd make up other stuff or they'd give other reasons. That's why it was, well, you're trespassing. Right. You're not supposed to be on the public bus because nobody is because it's under maintenance. Right. It's just driving around for other reasons. And, and you... if we happen to pick up some white people, that's different. Yeah. It's different. Uh, you're going to see a lot of this kind of shit where it's this weird underlying, like, we're not breaking the law. We, they can, they can ride the bus. We're not telling them they can't ride the bus where they want. It's just they, they did it in a way that it wasn't okay in that instance. That's what they're doing over and over and over, essentially. So you can be a black person and sit on the bus. You cannot, the law says you cannot be related to people who are from Africa and sit on the bus. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. So don't be a dick about this. We, we're we not racist. We're just following the laws. Yeah. So we're going to get into Alabama. And uh, in my research, during this time frame, I'm sorry if you're from Alabama today. Uh, this is not anything directed towards you. But Alabama in that time frame? It is for me. Fuck Alabama in that time. Yeah, fuck you right now. Uh, so in Anniston, Alabama, a mob of the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, here we go. The KKKs. KKK. So some still in church attire, by the way. They uh, decide to attack the two buses that are coming in with Freedom Riders into their town. The driver actually sees the mob coming up. Oh, shit, 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 shit. And tries to pull out of the station. However, they just slash its tires and kind of mm, cripply walk it down the street away from everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, When they do this, they get it kind of away from everywhere else. They firebomb the inside of it with... Naturally. The black and white people, protesters, the Freedom Riders Mm -hmm. inside. And they close the door shut and lean against it so that way they can't get out uh obviously intending to burn them alive inside now something happens i don't know why it's controversial or or at least why it's disputed of what happened but either the fuel tank exploded or someone shot a gun into the air that might have been an undercover agent of Hmm. like federal agent and told the kkk members to open the doors so the good news is is that they didn't burn alive. They were able to get out of the bus. Nobody died? The bad news is, is the second they get out of the bus, the KKK beat the shit out of everyone. So, yeah. Um, what the fuck? They would have died if whatever happened. Oop, whatever happened, yeah. Whether it was like, someone firing a gun or whether... It was Jesus. I don't know. But, yeah, they were intending to trap them inside and burn them alive. Uh, something else kind of similar happens <sighs> in uh, Birmingham, Alabama... Uh, which is, I would say, probably one of the biggest asshole areas of America in Alabama as well. Fuck you, Alabama. The police let the KKK actually come in and do attacks on the passengers. They actually have an alliance. Like, it's well known <laughs> and documented. What kind of pussy ass, little silly motherfucker, and I'm talking to anybody who can hear me. <laughs> you're a silly pussy ass little motherfucker if you wear a mask. Yeah, I agree. To do anything. And if you think you're a big man for picking on people, you're a silly, tiny little man. With a tiny penis, and um, 
I'm not a very big person, but I will kick you in the balls. All right. So, as I was saying, in Birmingham, Alabama, the biggest asshole area in America, in Fuck my opinion. You. Yeah. Uh, you can secede if you want. So the police get the fuck out. They've got an alliance with the KKK. So there's this guy named. Uh, he's the commissioner of public safety. His name is Theophilus Eugene Connor, but he went by hmm. Bull Connor, and he's a piece of shit. This is someone who I could do probably 20 minutes of name shame on. He would team up with a police officer named Tom Cook, who is an avid KKK supporter. It's a douchebag name too, Tom Cook. Yeah, what a dick. And Eastview Clavern, number 13, which is one of the most violent clan groups in Alabama. So hmm. of all the KKKs, they have multiple chapters. This one's supposed to be the worst one. I hope someone pours gasoline on your face while you're wearing that mask and lights it on fire so that the cotton fuses to your skin. Which unfortunately is very um, not Martin Luther King-like, but that's why I, I would not, feel the same way you do. So. I would not have been with him. So Bull Connor, now we know who Bull Connor is as far as he's the public safety commissioner, by the way. Isn't that... Okay. Anyways, so he actually... Public white safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he knows the bus schedule of the Freedom Riders that are going to be arriving. Like, he hears about them. He knows that they're coming. He's heard about the Riders going in other places. So what he does is he gets with this KKK group, Mm -hmm. and he says, well, tell you what. So when the bus arrives, you're going to hit it. It should arrive at about this time. The police are going to be absent for the next 15 minutes. They're busy. And just go ahead and do whatever you want. Whatever comes naturally. He's telling them to attack the bus and that they're not going to get punished. You know, they're not going to get arrested. They'll have no legal problems. Just go ahead and fuck up the Freedom Riders. Black people aren't people. And this does happen. The smart thing with the Freedom Riders is they often had people on there that were reporters. Mm, Smart, yeah. So all of this is known. But it's interesting that he constructs this, this Bull Connor fucker. He tells the KKK to do this. When it gets out there that he did that, he tries to lie about it. And there's something about that where it's like, is he ashamed? Or is it just he doesn't like that people might look down that he did? That's why they wear a mask. Well, and They're pussies. I mean, he was already pretty active of being against. You know, he was for segregation. He was against black freedom. He, I mean, he's clearly racist in in so many ways, and, mm. and one of the worst, really, in my opinion, when it comes to during this time frame of uh, leaders who constructed with other groups of racism in the government as well. You know, yeah. So it's just interesting because when it when they get asked about it. Like, well, then where are the cops at? Like, if you're claiming that, you know, you weren't a part of this, why weren't the cops there? You knew that these buses were coming in and they were getting hit. Why didn't you go help protect? And his excuse was, it was on Mother's Day, so all the police officers were with their mothers. Which is weird, I guess. One, police officers, Uh, uh, I guess they uh, don't work on Mother's Day. But also, yeah, so he's an asshole. I fucking hate this man. Bull Connor is a piece of shit. I don't love the black people. I don't hurt them. And his name will forever go down, at least in this goddamn podcast. And I'm sure many other places as being a giant pile of shit. Hey, fuck you, Bull. Is he dead? Actually, I don't know. I didn't go even check. Hey, let's go spit on his grave. He's actually a national symbol for racism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Actually, a a global. Sorry. He's a global symbol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can, so you can go look that up and see. I mean, obviously he's not that huge in the sense that I'd never heard of it until now. But when you find out how much involved he was and he let people beat up other people while he was in a government position, the safety commission, one of the things that he did, like for instance, is when they finally kind of get things rolling legal wise Mm -hmm. in the South, they tell him they're like, yeah, segregation's over. 
you gotta you gotta start opening up the park so that way it's everybody can go uh, he doesn't want to do it so bad that instead of opening it to everybody he closes it down for everyone nobody can come in yeah he closes like 60 parks in if his there's still county. blacks there's no fun anywhere yeah. ever give me my mask yep and he works directly with the kkk he sets up organizations that are going to end up hurting and killing people he's awful the greatest thing though is how many dicks you could fit in bull's asshole it's many um, people don't talk about that yeah but a lot yeah you could fit a lot of dicks in there i feel bad for anybody who's related to that man who has nothing to do with him because i would be like i would change my name and shit maybe they did fuck Anyways, there's tons of similar acts like this going all over the country. You have nonviolent protests met against physical attacks from unorganized, impromptu white mobs or even planned out mobs like the KKK. It's happening in sit-ins. It's happening on bus rides. It's happening in marches. So these these activists who are trying to get their equal rights are nonviolent constantly over and over and over. And they're constantly met with violence. Yeah. It's insane. With the Freedom Riders, uh, yeah, white people do get targeted um, because they're starting to show more white support. Hmm. And this is a way that shitty white people are trying to snuff out the cause. They think if they can scare white people into not helping them, then they can more easily control black people. They don't want they don't want the black following to get a movement going that involves white people. They find it to be more disgraceful that a white person would go in and help this nigger lover. Right? It's a terrible fucking. Anyways, yeah. Now, I still believe the black people are getting way worse. However, in the Freedom Riders, I did come across it that they would take the the white riders off and they would particularly pay more attention to them as yeah. far as their beatings and, and stuff went. Now, I don't know if that's true. You're just that racist. I don't know. I mean, I guess you get a, a group of people sufficiently worked up. They're just going to do whatever rage-induced nonsense comes oh, yeah. to their mind. I think if you're beating the shit out of somebody that you hate, if you're a person who is racist against a black person and you're enraged and beating the shit out of them and you happen to see like this white person's helping them, you're probably just going to keep moving along with that rage you already have going. And yeah. just whoever's in your way, I'm just going to keep on punching or, or throwing rocks. or I mean, they use lead pipes. They use baseball bats. Uh, when I say they beat these guys, just I know I already talked them. about how they tried to burn them alive, but they're not just like getting them out and kind of kicking them while they're on the ground. They're using weapons. They're using rocks. They're wow. holding rock, punching them with the rocks in the head. They're taking lead pipes and baseball bats. This isn't like a, oh, okay, they got a little beat up and the next day they're, you know, they're going to be sore and stuff. People are going to the hospital or dying. Yeah. Well, I would bet that these white people, these white protesters represent the potential shame that the other white people feel. So like, well, let's hit them harder. Which is terrible for the shitty white people because all this gets reported. So even if you were a white person who necessarily wasn't going for the cause of, you know, black civil rights, but you see in the news that, well, these people are just dangerous. They're just hurting everybody. They're hurting white people too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So it does help in some sense of a cause of bringing. The KKK a... are only dangerous when they start hurting white people. Yeah. That's big news. Yeah, all of this gets covered. It is surprisingly a lot of the country is shocked. I mean, there are definitely people who are like, "That's normal." It just depends on what kind of really what part of the country you're from. If you're in the South, everyone's like, "Okay, what do you um, mean it's a Tuesday?" Yeah, they're like, "Why is this even in the news?" Only it's a Tuesday. Along with that, uh, Kennedy, you know, because the news gets out and the White House responds. Kennedy, who's president at this time, urges for what he calls a cooling off period. 
Uh, he condemns the Freedom Riders as unpatriotic because they have embarrassed the nation on a world stage condemns at the height them? of a Cold War. Oh, yeah. Shut up, Kennedy. Oh, exactly. So, uh, which is interesting because, funny enough, when Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union gets word of what's happening with these specific buses that were attacked, they criticize the United States for its racism and the attacks on the riders and basically <sighs> mock Kennedy being like, you can't even keep your, your country together, you racist assholes. Just go get your dick sucked. It's the only thing you're good at. It's the only thing you were ever good at. Yeah. You loud mouth. You know what I think? Maybe a bull in the head. Oh, boy. Oh, my. Maybe that's too much. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> yeah. So, Kennedy. I've already said it. There's no way to take it back. You're right. There's no way to edit these things. <laughs> Kennedy is just making an ass of himself. Like, he's already doing the wrong thing by condemning the wrong people. Uh, it gets worse as uh, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, yeah, he's Attorney General now, yeah. steps out and is quoted saying that he does not feel that the Department of Justice can side with one group or the other on these issues. <laughs> yeah, fuck him, dude. Fuck that guy. <laughs> so we all got in a room. We were like, okay, so black people, they're different, right? We don't like them. So what do we do about it? They're like, no, this is really what's going on. Because remember, black people technically aren't breaking any laws now that the buses oh, should no longer have segregation. So what he's saying is, okay, so black people are doing nothing illegal, nothing wrong. They're riding on the bus. Mm -hmm. And they're getting met with white people who are beating the shit out of them with weapons. And right. trying to murder them. And in some cases, murdering them. We can't really decide if justice should be, like, what side we should help or not help. We're just not going to get involved. This is a traditional Sophie's choice. Like... Yeah, that is, he's not wrong. I don't blame him. That's rough. Cause you have the law, and then you have black people. And then you have like beating them up, and then you have like, I'm, you know, I have, I have meetings later. Yeah. I can't really decide what to do. About it's pretty this. pathetic, and I think it gets really bad rep, not only with, especially with the black community, but it's kind of like, so let me get this straight, cause everyone knows what's going on now. And everyone's in agreement. It's not like, oh, we've heard that the black people are not, you know, they're not being violent, but they probably are. Everyone knows the black people on these buses are not violent and not doing anything wrong, and they're getting attacked. It's and then he thing. comes out and says, we don't really know if there's anything we can do about this as far as, like, it could be whose side do we know we should take. You We're know? not really sure if a crime has occurred. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. So the country does outrage about the Freedom Riders. It is too loud for the Kennedys. It's too much pressure on American political leaders. And in 1961, Robert Kennedy sent out a petition to the Interstate Commerce Commission asking it to comply with the bus desegregation ruling that had already been issued back in 1955, sure. which was six years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe he needs a bullet in the head, too. Jesus. Is he still alive? I don't think you can say that. <laughs> well, he got assassinated. Oh, okay. There you go. I didn't know. I... They are, everybody in the story got assassinated. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that much about Robert Kennedy. Uh, only from mostly from what's going on in this time frame. But anyways, so the desegregation of buses had already happened six years ago. It took that much longer, six years, for them to come back around and be like, look, this is the law, right? Well, it's not really over yet, so don't get too excited. So they take down the signs that said white or colored, and blacks were supposedly allowed to now sit where they wanted and use the same drinking fountains and bathrooms and lunch counters. Yeah, uh, the only thing with... The only thing with that I disagree with is the drinking fountains. Why? Nobody should use those. They're germ factories. You're probably right. Nobody, uh, not, not because of color or anything, just nobody. No, that we should have drinking fountains and it says no one is allowed to use them. <laughs> we should have them still, just not use them. Well, you know, for emergencies, maybe? Yeah. Something I thought was interesting and funny, um, a quick quote from a civil rights leader uh, named James Farmer. 
who was head of CORE, which is another faction of civil rights activists. When Kennedy asked for a cooling off period, James responded to Kennedy saying, yeah, we've been cooling off for the last 350 years. And if we were to cool off any further, we'd be in a deep freeze. Yeah. Because this is how almost the entire black community felt when it came to the scenario of the government trying to help or get involved was that they weren't doing anything. And they kept telling to wait. It takes time. This is something that, no. you know, it's a process and you're going to see in baby steps. And they're going like, look, we can understand that. Doesn't have to. We can actually say... I reasonably understand it's not going to be something that changes overnight. However, you're not doing anything. They're doing the whole token, black token thing at best. Mm -hmm. And that's still not great. That's where they go like, look, see, we're working on it. Uh, Jimmy Bob down the road's now got a job he didn't have before. And you're like, yeah, but you still have a thousand (laughs) other black people who don't have a job. You gave one guy a job. And then you're saying like, see, we're doing something. But the problem still exists. You're just hiding it behind the fact that you've taken one person and giving them that opportunity. It's easy to say cool off from the purview of your tower. Yeah. Dipshit. Exactly. And the token thing, it's, I didn't know this was what it came from, but this is the idea. The, the token black guy, mm-hmm. it was actually a strategy to pretend, to give the illusion that they were trying to make things better for black people when really they weren't doing anything. At best, they would take some of the people that they thought were uh, the top of the group of black people and mm-hmm. give them a position and be like, look, see, look at this respectable man and look, we're working with them and everything's good. It's, it's steps. So it's going to take some time, but we're doing something. So every year and then they find out for years, they're just not really actually doing anything to help. They just finding token scenarios to put yeah. them in. So every year in February, they would take a black janitor and make him the assistant janitor. Yeah. And really, what else do you want him to do? That's, that's progress. Yeah. Uh, during this time, though, um, Martin is trying to convince everyone, though, that peaceful protest is the only way to succeed. He just keeps on preaching this because people are getting upset because yeah. here you have people that were being peaceful and they're still getting attacked and killed and then told that, like, well, we're trying to make it better. And then they get attacked and killed and people are now getting, I mean, not now, but they're starting to get a lot more vocal that maybe peacefully doing it isn't the option or the way to mm. go about it, that maybe force is the only way because let's be honest if i was someone in this scenario where at any point i could be killed my family member could be killed you're hearing stories constantly of it happening no justice being done and you hear the guy that's trying to do it peacefully is still getting attacked over and over yeah i don't know if i would just be able to go yeah let's keep on this peaceful rally oh my god yeah so this is uh (sighs) so this is a two-part episode obviously i want to kill everybody i know uh, we're going to end episode part one here now of Martin Luther King, and we'll you can click on the next one for part two. Please do. Um, show your third cousins our episodes. Yeah. If you know your third cousins. And tell them to uh, check this out. Uh, subscribe. This is, um, I mean, I don't want to be up my own ass, but this feels important. Yeah, yeah. I've been super worked up the whole time. It's going to take a lot to digest. So we're going part one to part two to help make it more digestible. Yeah. Um, but please continue to uh, do the stuff. All right. Well, we'll see you over on the other side of part two. Thanks, click, guys. Click on the next one. It's got a good conclude. Well, good. It, it it conclu- click on two. It concludes. <laughs> I can't say good.